everybody. I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. And this is episode 94 of Fried Squirms, where we are going to be talking about summer of 84. Yeah. But before that, because I told you guys I was going to fucking do this, <laughs> if you end up liking this episode, we would love it if you hit subscribe. However, you're listening to us, you can always head over to the website, www.friedsquirms.com. Check out links up at the top, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff through the middle. Stream the latest episode down at the bottom. And as we make our way to our 100th episode, we would very much, if you shared around that information and got as many people listening to us as you could. Yeah. Tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your cousins, tell your aunties and uncles. Shit, you can get up on the website and fucking (laughs) hit us up. Yeah. There's a contact form. You can always hit us up, squirmcast at gmail.com. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Give us recommendations, suggestions, all that good stuff. All that good stuff. How was your week? It was really good. For the most part, though, it was a lazy one because this weather, man, it's been getting cooler. It's been getting wetter. So, yeah, man, I just, for the most part, just been hanging out, just trying to catch up on some of the shows, you know, all that good stuff. How about yourself? I ended up getting sick the last part of the week yeah. up until, like, the last couple of days. So, like, I was out work the last couple of days. I did use it to fun. get a little bit caught up on stuff. Not as much as I was planning, but likewise, I had a lot of stuff to get caught up on, so I got a bit of it done, but not all of it. Yeah, that's kind of where I was at, too. There was a few things I wanted to do, didn't really get to them, but that's okay. That's what these coming weeks are for. Yeah, I had to rest, though. I was fucking low energy as shit, so. Understandable, um, man. Fuck, last night, though. Oh, boy. Ooh. <laughs> oh. Uh, we got into it. Well, I mean, we didn't get into it, but no. like... Fucking, we got to go down and check out the brand new Suspiria. Yes, sir. So I know we're going to have a lot to say about that. And as a bonus... Depending on how long we end up talking about that, I might end up like labeling this episode as Summer of 84 and Suspiria 2018. (laughs) Completely understandable for a lot of good reasons. Because I know we were both... Like last night, just wanting to fucking gush over it, but knowing that we were recording today, so... Yeah, uh, what you mean? Not that this isn't a great movie, too. I think we got a bit to talk about today, just yeah, I'm both in friends. general. Plus the fact, like, I finished off Castlevania. Oh, nice. Before we get into everything else, I just want to say I highly recommend it. Very quick review is... It's super good, a lot more elegant and slow-paced than the first one, but has some amazing payoffs towards the end and greatly fleshes out the world. So if you liked the first season, I don't see how you wouldn't like the second season unless it was only the fast pace of the first season that you liked. Well, it was only four episodes, but... Yeah, I did get to check out the first episode. (laughs) Not that it's saying a lot, but at least I got a little bit of the feel for what this season is kind of about, so... I'll probably catch up a little bit more this week. I'm about halfway through Sabrina, so that's mm. kind of where I'm at with Sabrina. I'm only about two episodes in. I was most of the way through Daredevil, and I decided that I'd finish that off before I finished Sabrina, because I was only like an episode into Sabrina anyway. So I did watch like f- three more episodes of Daredevil, but I nice. think I still have like two or three. So well, That's cool, man. Like I said, for the most part, just trying to catch those two shows, got at least one viewing in of today's episode you know the film for it and yeah that's about it i mean outside of what we did last night it's been a low-key week for the most part yeah i think for me last night was definitely the high point of this week too so shit let's get in talking about summer of 84 well before do you that, have some I, news? I do have a few th- bits of okay. horror news on the front so leading off with that is one film i'm really looking forward to it's going to be pretty brutal considering who the director is but 
the director's cut of Lars von Trier's The House That Jack Built. It's going to open nationwide, and it looks like it's only going to be for one night. So if it's near a theater where it's playing, say, in your city or surrounding areas, look for it on November 28th. And that is before it gets its video on-demand release on December 14th. And there's also going to be an R-rated cut that hits theaters that day and date. So, yeah, for those who are interested, it's coming up, man. I'm really excited about that. Matt Dillon, those fucking bonkers, man. So, yeah, looking forward to that. Anyhow, I did see some information regarding Friday the 13th. Nothing on the legal battles, but it looks like a fully funded fan film. It's entitled Friday the 13th Vengeance. It will be a sequel to Jason Lives, which I know I've said a bunch of times is my favorite in the series. And it is starring the actor who played Jason Voorhees, and that's C.J. Graham. Mm. Yeah, so what it looks like, it got $25,000 on the Kickstarter, and it wound up getting like $38,000 in donations. Wow. Yeah, so it looks like there's still 19 days to go if people wants to contribute to that, but... Yeah, it looks pretty promising. We'll just have to keep up with the news as it progresses. But See what happens. Yeah, man. But it's fully funded, so kudos. Now, this is some box office numbers. I talked about them a little bit last week, but it looks like Halloween topped $225 million worldwide. Cool. And that's coming off the backbone of a $10 million budget. Right. It's pretty awesome. Betty, Almost surprised it didn't even do a little bit better, but... Still, I mean, that's pretty remarkable. Considering. Especially with how it did... Yeah, I can see that. I think, you know, without saying too much about it, is I feel like maybe some of those later sequels probably turn people off. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's drawing on a little bit earlier nostalgia than it is. I mean, totally. 90s, 80s is kind of in right now. Yeah. Stephen King, that's kind of in right now. and So completely understandable. Mm-hmm. But like we said, I enjoyed it. I know you enjoyed it. We talked a little bit about Fetty Alvarez last week because of his sequel he wants to do to Labyrinth. But I think I mentioned to you during the week that the script for a Don't Breathe sequel has been finalized. Now, he said whether or not he directs it is one thing, but he does want to be a part of it. So it it sounds like at least he'll be a producer on that project. Cool, cool. Like I said, we still want our Evil Dead Part 2, though. Oh, shit. (laughs) Make it happen. More Mia. I'm okay with that. No matter which direction they go. Mm-hmm. Right? So we're big fans. I'm a big fan of Shout Factory. And they have acquired the Russian horror film entitled The Mermaid, Lake of the Dead. From what I understand is it stays pretty true to form in terms of some of Russian mythology surrounding mermaids. mermaids yeah. And so apparently it's like when women drown, they Russian turn into mermaids. Yeah, they turn into mermaids and then they there's act one, as almost like sirens and try to bring in males. There's and, a smaller mermaid inside the mermaid yeah. and then a smaller one inside them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they make you drink vodka. And they get you, and it, it ends up just looking kind of like the alien mouth. Yeah, yeah that'd be pretty <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so keep an eye out on that. If you like Russian horror, if you're not familiar with Russian horror, that might be a good starting place. We haven't, have we done, we haven't done any Russian horror. Not yet. Okay. Oh, yeah, I'm familiar with some, though. Now, the last little bit of news I have is on a director we've covered before, but it looks like Pet Cemetery's director, Mary Lambert, she is prepping an upcoming film entitled Darlene, which, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's going to be a genre film, in the horror genre, that is. It looks like she's more recently done episodes for like Arrow, Blacklist, and Step Up. 
So it'll be interesting. I mean, she's no stranger, of course, to horror mm-hmm. with Pet Cemetery. She also did Pet Cemetery 2 in Urban Legends, Bloody Mary. So it'd be nice to see her get back in the swing of things. Yeah, I mean, she's a sure. really cool director. Yeah, so outside of that, that's pretty much the news of the week that I have to share. Before we get too far away from us saying that we went to Suspiria, I do think we should shout out at the top of this oh, episode no the fact that we went and saw it down at the Roxy local theater. Love if it. you're one of our listeners in the Missoula area, I mean, you probably already know about the Roxy Theater. Go check it out if not. But go make an excuse to get down there. Personally, my schedule makes it so that like I miss all of their coolest shit, yeah, which kind of sucks. I, I, I know what you mean. But this was playing. We got to go see that. And that kind of, like I said, made my week. So Yeah, likewise. And a big shout out to Ian once again for hooking us up. Thank you, That's Ian. Dude. Once again... Our boy. He was wearing camo, and he thought we didn't see him. <laughs> I didn't see him at first. <laughs> I didn't either, but... I didn't yeah, see him on the way cool. out. You had to yank me back in the door. But Well, it was funny because on the way out, we didn't see him. And I was like, oh, well, okay, that's cool. And then as I was holding the door for a lady, I happened to see him butt his head out. And I was like, oh, there's Ian. <laughs> but that's not what I said. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow, long story short, man... Thanks once again. Enjoyed the film last night. and We'll talk about it more yes, in like we will. an hour and a half when we're done talking about <laughs> Summer of 84. Yeah. So, yeah, without nerding out too much more, man, that's pretty much like say what I've been up to. That's some of the news of the week I found interesting. And I guess without further ado. Well, let's get into the guts and bolts and find out what made Summer of 84. Guts and bolts, Danny. If you've never been with us before, this is where we talk about cast, crew, where you may have seen them before, or their work before, depending on how deep in the crew they are, and just shit that goes into making the movie. Try to stay spoiler-free. And a little bit of what goes into making this episode, because uh, we like to get fucking high. Yeah, baby. And I know that today, from my side of the table... We're chiefing on some Alaskan Thunderfuck. Yeah. I do have I some like Blue it. City Diesel over in the other room, but I didn't want to put us to sleep. So, <laughs> No, I like Alaskan Thunderfuck. It's a nice strain. I'm still kind of rocking the same. With I think this week there's a little bit of Cinex in what I've got. Okay. But it's been mostly been White Widow and Gorilla Glue. That's pretty much kind of the staples around my household right right i, I try to mix it up whenever i can but yeah it's always lately nice. it's been blue dream but i was like oh i'm gonna go check out see what they have yeah and so i went and checked it out and i'm like oh some atf i'm down always a classic a weird classic because i don't know maybe you remember this too but back in the day if an r-rated movie <laughs> wanted to reference weed by a strain name they would use alaskan thunderfuck just to get that extra fuck in. Yeah, no doubt, right? And if it was PG-13 or less and they were going to reference weed, <laughs> it was going to be Maui Wowie. Wowie. <laughs> no, no doubt. I mean, that's true. So, going old school. Kind of like this movie. Yeah, exactly. And there's a reason why it's called Summer of 84. So, before we get too far off into this film, maybe we should start with a synopsis. Ooh, I was thinking about this. 
Now, if you are familiar with the films that we've covered, I would say that this movie is like The Goonies mixed with Found. Yeah, I can see that. There are several films I'll kind of allude to maybe a little bit later on. If you don't know Found, which, don't blame you, but go watch Found because it's amazing. Go find Found. (laughs) Yeah. I would say, and I was thinking, I ended up looking, you know, we do some research and shit after we watch it, and as I was looking around, a lot of people were bringing in the Goonies thing, and I'm like, well, at least I'm not the only one that, you know, felt like I had Goonies-style pacing. But when I was watching it today, it hit me a little bit more what this movie is. It's it without a supernatural threat. Yeah, I can see that. It's sure. reality's bad enough, but otherwise it's pretty much it. Yeah, for the most part. With the pacing of Goonies. Yeah, I mean, it definitely harkens back to a lot of the 80s films, especially if you grew up in that time period. You'll be familiar with some of the inspirations and some of like the influences of these directors and writers. Mm-hmm. But I guess an actual story synopsis would yeah. be like Misfit Kid and his group of friends take it upon themselves to start investigating a series of child disappearances in their area of Oregon with a (laughs) suspect in mind that lives right across the street. I think that's a really good brief synopsis of what you're going to get yourself into with this film. So, of course, we like to talk about our cast and crew, and this week I'll lead off with our crew because... The directors on this are actually a brother and sister duo and a couple. So the directors that I have on this... <laughs> I almost missed that you said, and a couple. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> a brother-sister duo. A couple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not so much them. but oh, yeah. that's, that's the Arkansas version, not the Canadian. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So we have three film directors on this, and we have Francois Simard... Anouk Whistle and Johan Carl Whistle. Now, Anouk and Johan Carl are, of course, the brother-sister combo, and Francois and Anouk are the couple in this. But together, they are known as RKSS Films. They have done such projects as Turbo Kid Part 1, and there is an upcoming sequel, Part 2. I'm not sure if they're still going to have Ironside in it. I mean, I hope so. Full disclosure... I still haven't watched Turbo Kid, even though it's only like 30 minutes long. However, and this does tie into the behind the scenes of this movie, I have listened to the Turbo Kid soundtrack. Turbo Kid's boss. And thusly immediately recognized who was doing the music (laughs) in this movie as well. Oh yeah, it definitely has that same feel. So along with the trio, we have a pair of writers on this. And these gentlemen are Matt Leslie and Stephen J. Smith. This is actually their debut work. So this was their first screenplay. So our cinematographer... Wow, way to go. Yeah, no, right? This was a good one. I totally this was a agree. good one. Before we get... I mean, we'll talk about like our deep thoughts yeah, about this movie. For a, but... Yeah, for a debut, pretty solid. Yeah. Our cinematographer on this film is Jean-Philippe Bernier. He has done such work on films as Transit. He was also cinematographer on Turbo Kid. He's done cinematography work on The Cleansing Hour and Dinner in America. Was this done in, like, the French part of Canada? (laughs) No, most of all of these people that are on this project are from Quebec. I'm not sure if they're all from Montreal, but I know they're from Quebec. But this was shot in Vancouver. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, this is huge Because I'm looking connection. at these names, and I'm like, I know that this is a Canadian flick, so... <laughs> yeah. Like, Canadian movies, you have to have so many Canadian actors, and no, I don't no. know all the specifics, but I know that, yeah, like, that's I mean, part of it. it. You have to include Canadian people, and so... Hell yeah! Yeah, you can I, see I start. Bunch. I start wondering, like, if you see a f- bunch of French names on a Canadian flick, especially like, if it's not in oh, France. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So our editor on this is Austin Andrews. Austin has done editing work on such projects as In Their Skin, The Games Maker, Keepers of the Magic, which is a documentary, Freaks and Geeks, the documentary, and Anthem of a Teenage Prophet. Our music on this. This is a duo. We've already mentioned one of them, who is actually our cinematographer. So Jean-Philippe Bernier, along with Jean-Nicolas Louis Puy, they are known as Le Matos. And they're awesome. They are fucking dope. Uh, I have been getting really heavy in synthwave shit for like the past three months. Oh man, you you can't help but... There has been just an explosion of amazing synthwave groups. Totally agree. Lamatos is one of those. They're really fucking. I good. listen to them almost on the daily basis at nice, this point. Dude. It's been veering off a little bit. I've been hitting back up to the metal a little bit. Yeah, uh, that's understandable. But like a month ago, it was almost on a daily basis. Them well, along understand. with like Magic Sword, nice. Gunship, Get Down on. Nice. Shout out Donnie. I know Donnie loves some Gunship. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Yeah, there's a couple of those synthwave bands. I'm a big fan of M83. I really dig them a lot. I got yeah. to see them one time. Dance with the Dead. Yeah, That's dude. what I get There's some really on. cool synthwaves, like you said, that are out right now. And just if you like that chill style, man. Stravinsky. Yeah, baby. So they have done work on Turbo Kid. So if you've seen Turbo Kid and you know the soundtrack, which you mentioned, then you'll be right at home with this film. All right, now our special effects was done by Umedia VFX. They're based out of Vancouver, and they help with the finishing on it. And we also have Robert Musnicki. He helped with the special effects coordination. And he's got a wealth, a big body of work, so he's no stranger to special effects. Wait, I just said Stravinsky like a minute ago. Kavinsky. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. All right, our producers on this are Matt Leslie, Jameson Parker, Von Toffler, Sean Williamson, and Cody Zweig. And we've actually talked about Cody Zweig before. Because uh, he was a producer. I'm trying to think which film it was. It was a, a film we talked about more recently. But I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. Our production companies were Bright Light Pictures and Gunpowder and Sky. Distributor for this was Gunpowder and Sky. They helped with the 2018 USA theatrical release. The release dates were January 22nd of 2018. It got a premiere at the Sundance Film Festival here in the States, August 10th, 2018, and July 14th, 2018. We had the premiere in Canada. That was the July 14th. It premiered at the Fantasia International Film Festival, and it's got a more of a wide distribution here in the States on August 10th. It also premiered at the Fright Fest London Festival. This was on August 23rd, 2018. So, yeah, if you were in those locations, you might have seen it. So that kind of rounds out the crew and start talking about our cast. We've got a pretty good cast in this, too. A lot of child actors, mind you. But leading off, we do have Graham Verscher. He plays Davy Armstrong. So those who are familiar with Mr. Davy, he is a Canadian actor. He's done work in such projects as Fargo. This is back in 2017, the television series. He was also in My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. He helped voice some characters in there. Yeah, he's Pipsqueak. Yeah. (laughs) He was also in the live action of 
Woody Woodpecker. It's like, ooh, I never got to see that. And I didn't know they did that. Yeah, it was a live action one. I was like, oh, okay. He was also in more recent shows. He's in The Good Doctor. And you might have also seen him in Supergirl from this year and an upcoming film entitled Stargirl. It's really funny. He's in the next episode that I'm like, I'm not completely caught up on Supergirl. Yeah. He's in the next episode that I'm going to watch. Well, cool. You'll be able to right. hopefully spot him. So, However, as far I have watched an episode of The Good Doctor, and it happened to be an episode with a number of flashbacks, and he plays the young version oh, of nice. the main character. So gotcha. I did get to see him quite a bit in that. Well, cool. That, I can't remember the kid's name who's the main actor. I know we're kind of nerding, but. Uh, if you've seen Bates Motel, he oh, does a yeah. brilliant job as Norman Bates. All right, so along with Mr. Vacher, we have Judah Lewis. He plays Tommy Eat Eaton in this film. For those who are familiar, you might have seen Judah in such projects as Demolition. He was in Game of Silence, which is a television series. This is back in 2016. He was in a film I've actually seen. It's called The Babysitter. It's a kind of a comedy horror. I think it had a premiere on Netflix not too long ago. It's pretty entertaining. It's not bad. You might have also seen him in such things as... The... Oh, yeah. That was a McG flick, wasn't it? Yeah, it's pretty it? good. Okay, yeah. Yeah. He was also in The Christmas Chronicles and another film entitled I See You. The next actor I have in this is Caleb Emery. He plays Dale Woody Woodworth in this film. He's been in such projects as Scream Queens. This is back in 2015. You might have seen him in the film Blue. He was also in the film Goosebumps. You might have seen him in Fist Fight. You might have also seen him in American Vandal. He was in the first season for a few episodes. Holy shit, yeah he was. Yeah. Oh my god. I was super wondering where I had fucking seen that kid before. Yeah, when I saw that, I was like, damn, no wonder why he looks so familiar. Oh my god, American Vandals. Fantastic. Both seasons are brilliant, dude. Really good. Second season, the ending was almost more enjoyable than the first season, because it didn't make you feel like as big of a piece of shit for being entertained by it all. I know, right? Dude, that first season was like, you get to the end and you're like, oh, yeah, I was like... Yeah, dirty a little bit. Yeah, you're like, oh, I was having a good time watching this, and... They just made some really good points where I'm like, ah, oh, now I feel kind of ethically yucky. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, I mean, that's what good shows do. That's mm-hmm. what they do. So, yeah, check them out. He's also in the film Logan Lucky. All right, the next actor I have, and this kind of rounds out the boys club, yeah, so to the, speak. Yeah, the group, yeah, yeah. The, the kids, the friends. Yeah, so the core of the group. Mm-hmm. So this actor is Cory Gruter Andrew. He plays Curtis Faraday in this film. He was also in Fargo, but he was in the first season from back in 2015. Yeah. You might have seen him in the show The 100 from 2016. He was in the film Okja. You might have seen him in Legends of Tomorrow, the television series. And he was also in Anne with an E. That's a television series, and that is from this year. The next actress I actually have, is the first actress in this film, is Tiara Skobvi. She plays Nikki Kasuba. Yeah, Kasuba. She's been in such films as A Christmas Story Part 2. She was in R.L. Stein's The Haunting Hour. That was a television series from 2010 through 2013. You might have seen her in the unauthorized Saved by the Bell story, where she plays Jesse Spano. Yeah, she yeah she plays Elizabeth Berkeley. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. She was also in the project Midnight Sun. You might have seen her in a television series Once Upon a Time, and she's or, also in Riverdale. I was about to say I think she has a recurring role in Riverdale. She Some of these does. others I think she just popped up, but recurring on Riverdale because she's Polly Cooper. Yeah, she's a really good actress. 
The next actor I have in this film is Rich Sommer. He plays Wayne Mackey. We might have seen him in such projects. Wait, as... I'm going to go off real quick. Okay, this yeah, is yeah. where I get to interject my own little things. Maybe this should have been how this made you squeal, but we're talking about this <laughs> motherfucker right now. Yeah. As soon as he came on the screen, I hated his ass. <laughs> you want to know why? I'm a giant fan of The Office. Nice. Yep. And Rich Sommer appears in two episodes. He appears in Weight Loss and Customer Survey, at which point he plays Alex, Pam's friend in art school, who the entire time seems like he's scamming on Pam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. During a time period of the show where you're extremely heavily rooting for Jim. They haven't actually got together yet, so oh. like you don't it's it's when you still care. Like Yeah, exactly. That's and so awesome. Fuck Alex. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, he's definitely in the office. I have him listed here. No, we might have seen him in such things as The Devil Wears Prada, which I've never seen that movie. He was also... If in... it was actually about the devil wearing Prada, yeah, I would watch it. Yeah, one thing, but yeah, when you say fashion, you kind of... I'm out. <laughs> All right, now he was also involved in The League from 2014, the television series. <laughs> I saw the devil wearing Prada. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty wild, wouldn't it? Uh, he's been in Mad Men, the television series, from 2007 through 2015. I had seen him in Wet Hot American Summer, first day of camp. That was from 2015. He also reappeared as his character in Wet Hot American Summer. That was 10 years later, which came out last year. Oh, yeah. For the record, like he needs, like while this weird 80s renaissance is going on, he needs more work because he looks like an 80s actor. He certainly does, doesn't he? <laughs> he fits the bill. He is fucking perfect, and everybody needs to be hiring this guy. Yeah, right he's, a, he's a really good actor. I totally agree. B- fuck Alex. <laughs> <laughs> now, you might have seen him, or at least heard his voice, in the regular show from 2015 through 2017. He was on the more recent netflix series glow which is the gorgeous ladies of wrestling oh, i've heard it's really good i grew up during that time period where they actually oh, when like, glow was going yeah, on yeah yeah it was that and there was a, like another offshoot of that some lady wrestling i can't remember what it was called but i'm familiar with all that shit it was uh it was the andy kaufman lady wrestling Probably, oh my gosh <laughs> yeah that was a weird time period <laughs> And the other project I have him in is, you might have seen him in A Crooked Somebody. So those are some of the projects of Mr. Somer. I'll show him A Crooked Somebody. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right, the next actor I have is Jason Gray Stanford. He plays Randall Armstrong, the father of Davey Armstrong in this film. Now, you might have heard his voice in Dragon Ball Z. This is from 1996 and 97 because he he voiced Raditz. Wow. Whoa. Okay. That's cool. I'm not much into Dragon Ball Z, but I had a lot of friends that were, so... Oh, I got into it probably 97, 98, so I probably heard his voice a few times. Didn't know who he was, of course. Uh, what I find a lot more intriguing is the fact that he contributed background vocals to the 30-odd foot of Grunt's album, Gaslight. Damn. The 30-odd foot of Grunt's, of course, being Russell Crowe's band. That's pretty gnarly. <laughs> <laughs> now, some of the other projects that I have him in is he voiced... I believe it was Donatello in Ninja Turtles, The Next Mutation, which was from 97 through 98. You might have seen him in the film Mystery Alaska, hence Russell Crowe, if you're familiar with that film. Oh, shit. He was in A Beautiful Mind. Well, he was, okay, that probably explains the... And Mystery Alaska, so that explains the Crowe connection. No doubt. But I was just looking at more of his voice dubbing, and he also did a voice for Rand Mahath. That's pretty cool, uh, isn't Of it? which there are VHSs of that right up behind yeah, you Yeah, Ranma's a dope-ass yeah. anime, yeah. Uh, he it. was Shinusuke. 
Yeah, he was also in Monk, the television series from 2002 through 2009. He appeared in a few episodes of The X-Files, one, I believe, in 1993, and one more recently here in 2018. Damn, I probably saw the episode of Highlander he was in, too. Yeah, he's done a lot of television work, and I believe he's a Canadian actor as well. Now, the next actress I have is Shauna Johannesson. She plays Sheila Armstrong, of course, the mother of Davy in this film. Now, we might have seen her in such projects as Supernatural, the television series. She appeared in an episode in 2012. She was in Colt, the television series, in 2013. If you've seen the film Grumpy Cat's Worst Christmas Ever, she was in that. She was also in Entanglement. She was in the television series The Man in the High Castle as well. So she's got some pretty cool little projects she's been in. Another Canadian actress. <laughs> the next person I have in this is William McDonald. He plays Sheriff Caldwell. He was in The X-Files from 93 through 98. We had him in the film Dudley Do-Right. He was also in Romeo Must Die. He was in the pilot episode of Dead Like Me oh. in 2003. Sure was. You I... might have seen him in the movie Slither. I might have to take another look at him again because I might be able to pick out who he was in that episode. Yeah. I have watched that pilot a number of times. Yeah, I imagine after watching this, you might be able to point him out. Along with Slither, he was in Hollow Man Part 2. You might have seen him in Blade, the series, in 2006. Or you might not have seen him in Blade, the series, because it was fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah, I know you don't have <laughs> starring, high praise for that. Sticky fingers. <laughs> That's too funny. <laughs> He was in Carrie, the remake, but he was uncredited in that appearance. But people might be familiar with him from Riverdale because he did star in it from this year, and it looks like they're signed on for next year as well. Actually, you know what? I want to walk back what I just said. I thought that the idea of the vampire dust being a fucking drug in Blade the series was a good idea. Anyway. Cool. <laughs> yeah, when the vampires would die, the fucking dust that they would leave behind when yeah. they'd burn up. And, like, in the series was, like, a fucking opiate for the vampires. Yeah, baby. Yeah. I thought that vampires was kind of Vampires like to get idea. high, too? Yeah. Shit. At least I think, I think I'm remembering Blade the series. But, anyway. Yeah, I don't, I don't okay. think anybody cares, even if I'm not. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. I mean, there might be somebody out there who's cussing us out right now. <laughs> Fuck Sticky Fingers. The only Blade is Wesley Snipes. That's funny. But, yeah, I agree. Come on now. Until he decides who it gets passed on to. Which, my vote fucking what's his name from first purge but oh yeah that'd be awesome right i think he'd make a dope blade i agree i think you're right he would be dope hey there's hey, our pitch hey marvel <laughs> <laughs> i know right while the iron's hey. hot anyway <laughs> all right so i have a few other actors and actresses in this i have j alex brinson he plays officer cole he was also in supernatural from 2015 you might have seen him in the television series I Zombie. He starred in that from 2015 through 2016. He was also in an episode of The X Files, and he was a part of Travelers, the television series from 2016 all the way through this year. The next actor I have is Harrison Howard. He plays Bobby Coker in this film. You might have seen him in such projects as Diary of a Wimpy Kid. He was in Some Assembly Required, which was a television series from 2014 through 2016. And he was also a part of the iZombie television series more recently, here in 2018. The next actor I have is Mark Brandon. He plays the news anchor. And much like the actress who plays the news anchor in Trick or Treat, almost every one of his appearances, whether it's in television and or film, is as a news anchor. <laughs> 
Hey, fuck if it keeps getting your work. That's what I'm saying. So some of those projects that he was in is a film entitled Ski School, which I've seen as a comedy, pretty decent. He was in the film The Final Cut, if you're familiar with that. He was in Air Bud, Golden Receiver. <laughs> he was also in Paycheck. He was also in Diary of a Wimpy Kid, the film Roderick Rules. You might have seen him in iZombie, the television series from 2015. He was also a part of Riverdale from 2017. And more recently, he was in The Man in the High Castle from 2016 through 2018. So there's a lot of these people who worked on similar projects together. The last actress I have is Susie Castillo. She plays Brenda Woodworth, who plays the mother of Woody. So that kind of rounds out the cast and crew. Actually, that's a really, really weird credit. On screen, she weirdly stood out to me because, number one, she does not look like his mother. Mm-mm. She doesn't look like she's old enough to be his mother. No. Cause... Nor do they look like they have any family semblance. Re- yeah, any... Yeah, that is kind of a weird casting choice. Uh, but she... Miss USA. I saw that. Miss Teen USA. Miss... And she was yeah, also and she Miss committed in, yeah, yeah, she was... She I can see why. She competed in doll. Miss Teen USA and Miss Universe... But she held Miss USA, and she hosted TRL for a while. That's pretty wild. As a VJ, and I'm like, why the fuck is she even in this? But whatever. I mean, it's good for her. I mean, it's a pretty good project. But you're right. I mean, she's been in some other projects that don't really, I don't know, jive with this per se. Maybe that explains. I mean, not that she she did a good job, but her scenes like eight seconds long. Yeah. You'd think you could find somebody else for eight seconds that could do the job that would look like his mom. Yeah, she's but... not in this for very long, so that's why it's like a it's kind of a weird casting choice. But, but I mean, maybe like, so no discredit her. Maybe they're like, hey, we get a chance to have Miss show USA. Off. Fuck, why not? Yeah, I mean, I don't blame them. And it's not even show her off because she's in like Scrubs or something, isn't she? Like... She was in House of Pain, if you're familiar with that, and she was also in the show Castle. So those are some of her acting credits. I mean, outside of like being a VJ and all that stuff, which is kind of cool, but I watched TRL way back in the day and it was kind of shit. <laughs> to be honest, it's like, ugh. Anyhow, that's still a pretty cool credit, though. I just thought it was totally weird. I had to look her up once I got done watching the movie because yeah. she seemed so weirdly out of Kind of, of out of place, yeah. I noticed that too in a couple of scenes, but that rounds out our cast and crew. You did give a brief synopsis. We do have to give you some warnings in this film. Language mostly? Yeah, mostly language. One scene of gore. Yeah, there's a little bit. Not much violence at all. No, like I mean, one there is, scene of violence. Not much. One scene of violence? Yeah. More or less, this film is is more atmosphere. It's it sets kind of moods and tensions. The biggest warning is that you might come away feeling a little bummed out. Yeah, that's probably. The I don't want to. I don't want to give too much of a spoiler on why, but you might walk away from this feeling a little bummed out. Yeah, a little indifferent. Yeah. Anyway, we'll <laughs> yeah, get, we'll to get it. into that. Yeah, yeah. I keep wanting to talk, but it's all spoilery, and that's what our entire next yeah. section is for. So we should probably just get into that. And talk about how this movie made us squeal. God, what's happening to me? God, where am I? Why am I hearing these things? Oh God, what, what's going on? Oh Jesus, come on! Oh my God, what's what's going on? Where where am I? Oh gee, why why? Come on, somebody, somebody! Ah, come on, come on, come on, come on, somebody! Sir, somebody, somebody's there. Somebody's got to be there. I will shock you. Come on, sir. 
Somebody, Sir, you must listen on, to me. Sir, I only have one question. How does that make you squeal? God damn, summer 84. Yes, sir. I wasn't even born yet. I was. I was two going on three. So this movie speaks directly to you. It's directly to me. I remember everything about 84. <laughs> like nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Oh, man. So I guess before we get into a little bit more specifics of the movie, <laughs> I did enjoy it. I did too. I thought it was a really good movie. I think in certain cases, it's probably actually an excellent movie. I couldn't help but come away from this movie feeling like if you have kids the same age as the kids in this movie that are starting to get into horror movies, this would be a good horror movie for them. This would be a nice little intro. Sure would be. Even if you're not okay with filthy language, because if you have kids that age, they're hearing it anyway. Oh, come on. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's a part of that adolescence, you know, that teenage life is... You're starting to be kind of become your own person, so language is going to fly. A lot of dirty shit's going to come out of your mouth. So, yeah, they should be all right with that. But one thing that you and I both looked at before we got into this section is we figured out why Susie Castillo got Oh, cast. yeah. Oh, well, I mean... <laughs> it makes a lot more sense now. Yeah, she's married to the writer. Yeah, writer and producer. Matt, yeah, Matt Leslie. <laughs> like, oh, no wonder. Okay. And we're not saying that in a way like she does a bad job. No, like, how no, no, the no. fuck did she get this job? She actually does an amazing job. No, she, she has a weird totally little believable. breakdown really quick. And it's in a very short scene that gets across a point. lot of her character's anguish and yeah. helps set up what that kid is going through as well. Totally. She carries a large emotional beat. She just looks really out of place. Yeah, and like, so that's no discredit to her, but you're right. I mean, we kind of. She does a good job, it. so. Yeah, totally agree, but. We'd that be talking about this in a lot why. different way if she would have done a terrible job. Yeah, I, we're not saying it in a way where it's like we're bashing her. It's just we're connecting dots is what we're doing. Plus, I'm figuring if you're making a movie and you have the chance to put in Miss USA. And she's your you wife. put in Miss USA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> like, that's a no-brainer. No kidding, right? If I knew Miss USA and I was making a movie, I yeah. would be like, hey, guess what your part is? <laughs> Well, yeah, show us emotion. Yeah. And she does. All right, so with that, I can say this is a few months ago before we even chose to do this film is it was one of those films I think we both had seen the trailer for it perhaps. I know we might have even talked about it a little bit just in like passing as far as some of the news that we've heard about it. I think it was uh, when we were looking on Shudder because it's currently streaming as a Shudder exclusive. It certainly exclusive. is. And I think that's that's how I watched it. Yeah, no, I had actually got a pirated copy of it because I was like, man, I want to see this film. And it was finally available. And I watched it and I was like, man, I really enjoy this film. And I didn't watch it again until we decided to review it. And I was like, man, I'm glad we're doing this because it's one, it's right in this nostalgic era of like reminiscing about the 80s for a lot of people in our demographic. You know, either you grew up in it or maybe you had siblings or maybe aunts and uncles, your parents perhaps as well. So some of that stuff harkens back, of course, hence Summer 84. There's some interesting pop culture references in this film, and we've already alluded to some of the influences Ooh. that this film shows you. Like I said, I wasn't even born till three years later, but it's really easy for me to harken back to 80s things. 
because I grew up in an extremely poor section of fucking Montana, (laughs) where it takes forever for things to get there. So, like, we had 80s shit up through, like, the late 90s. Yeah, baby. (laughs) Pretty easily. Dude, I didn't, like, we were on fucking dial-up internet until I I was in college. I didn't have cable until, And I mean, that's that's past 80s, obviously. Yeah, but but I'm I'm saying how slow things were to get started over there as an example i see what you mean and you're right i mean here in montana especially if you live out beyond the major city major cities Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah you're kind of on your own for the most part so there was a lot of like 80s ish shit throughout my 90s childhood yeah dude (laughs) that's interesting because of the way certain things get to people yeah so Mm -hmm. i mean Even though you were on the back end of it, you still got to experience it in a kind of a unique way. This movie, I I definitely enjoyed this movie. Like I said, I think it's actually excellent for certain things, like introducing kids to horror. I think this is a great movie to do that. Yeah. Especially because of how closely it harkens to something like The Goonies. Yeah, exactly. It still has the core group of kids who are doing an adventure for the most part. It was also an extremely surprising movie because I didn't think it was going to end off the way it did. Yeah, that's a thing that captivated me and made me a fan of this film. And going into how it made me squeal, that's kind of the thing that made me kind of not want to watch it a second time because I kind of didn't want to be bummed <laughs> yeah. out. Like I know what you're saying. It's, it's a bummer of an yeah, ending. It really is, man. So without spoiling it too much, is we can kind of maybe just try like lead off about what the film's about and how it starts and all that good stuff. Well, okay. There's two ways we could talk about what this film's about, though, because the reason the third act is so surprising and so genius is because what this film is really about is just making you feel at ease with all the 80s tropes you've ever seen played out extremely faithfully on screen in front of you. No doubt. This film, for those who do like that style of cinema or just... You know, if you're a fan of Stranger Things, and we've talked about Turbo Kid, just stuff that harkens back to certain time periods. If you're very nostalgic, you'll feel right at home in this film. Yeah, it's a group of friends going on an adventure. This adventure happens to be more of a, like, murder mystery. Exactly. But it's still a group of friends going on an adventure. You know, your main kid <laughs> has a love interest who yeah. comes around, even though she's way out of his league for, yeah. like, no real reason. You still have one of the characters who plays, like, a rebellious kind of kid on the mm-hmm. cusp of that rebellious age you have the nerdy kid yeah you and you have, have the fat best friend yep exactly so <laughs> i mean you've got your core of whatever group you've seen from the 80s all the way up through this time period i mean this in a way it is a cliche you know it's the cliche friends is the usual suspects now i will admit going into this movie because i hadn't seen it before obviously as we've mentioned i think if I haven't mentioned it, I didn't see it till this weekend. Anyway, yeah, I felt like the only way it could have been successful is to have some sort of twist. So it was a little bit of a game of like, where is the twist coming? Yeah. And I will admit that the very beginning of this movie faked me out because <laughs> I kind of thought that they were just going to do a cold open or a hot open, as it were, yeah. and have the fake out be Mackie killing Davy, Davy. right Davey away. Boy. Because it was such a fucking, just ridiculous, like, on a silver platter serial killer offering. setup. Like, yeah, exactly. 
which that is fun. Watching it a second and third time can't help but notice certain things that either tips its hat or lends its hand to future things that are going to happen in this film. A bit of foreshadowing, so to speak. So that was kind of neat, going back and hearing some of the dialogue and why they chose those lines they said and how true it rings in this film. It's like, it's clever writing. The guys are pretty good. They made it so obvious in that first scene with Mackie that he's a serial killer. Yeah. If you listen to his dialogue. Yeah. And how fucking oh, creeptastic shit. he's being. I was almost wondering <laughs> if they weren't going to pull a Tucker and Dale on us. <laughs> Have a buddy buddy thing where people are just... Where it's all randomly. accidents happening around him. Yeah, it's like just people randomly dying. <laughs> Which would also be awesome, to be honest. That would be a huge twist. That's... That would be an amazing... Didn't <laughs> it's not happen. the twist. <laughs> I mean, this is still good. Oh, yeah. This is good in a much darker way. God damn it. I can't believe how dark this... Anyway, so we'll get through it. The backdrop of this movie is that kids are disappearing, and they're continuing to disappear. And it's never a huge... I mean, it's helping fuel why Davey thinks there's all this happening, and why Davey thinks Mackie is the killer in the first place. But it's never something that the kids talk about a lot. Yeah, it's yeah. very much more of like this background thing that you keep getting snippets of in the news that's sort of being ramped up throughout the movie. Yeah. I thought that was really neat. Yeah, exactly. Uh, very much sort of sets like an organic backdrop to what's going on. Because when news events like that are going on, especially back then oh, when yeah. we all didn't have our fucking smartphones and shit. Exactly. You just had the TV on at all times to the news channels or whoever was covering that shit. Yeah. I remember the TV being on, like, nonstop during, like, the OJ trial. Oh, man. And gosh. during, like, the JonBenet Ramsey mystery. Yeah, that was huge. Anything that attracts kind of a national attention, especially in this case, serial killers, it's one of those fascinating subjects because it's such a horrific thing that somebody's doing or groups of people are doing. Mm -hmm. That it makes you wonder why they do this stuff in the first place, the psychology behind it. So you already have this fascination with it. In this time period, like you said, you didn't have the mass information. So something like this captivated either your local area if they kept it local or if it was national news, you would hear about it probably for weeks or months. You know, is it unrelenting? Well, now it's just everything so quick paced. It's like as unfortunate as it is, it's not surprising. You know, because mm -hmm. you hear about it every day, whereas something like this is magnified. But I, I thought it was kind of neat to have us firmly planted in, like, the kid's point of view. Yeah. But getting these moments now and then of seeing, like, throughout the movie, the parents are getting, like, more and more afraid of, like, shit that's going on. And, like, yeah. when the cop pulls him over and he's like, dude, like, the festival's about to be canceled. You kids need to get home. Yeah, like, take quit your playing. ass now. You guys are playing right now and there is serious shit going on. Like, Yeah. I do like that because they don't do it in a way where it becomes frantic. Mm -hmm. Right? It's just, it's always in that background where... Everything that we see or is projected is from the kid's point of view. And it does inform what the kids are doing. Yeah. But it's never, like, the forefront. They're never like, we're going to get targeted by a killer. They're yeah, exactly. like, we're going to be the heroes and find a killer. <laughs> yeah. You want to be a hero today? I mean, you're 15. What the fuck else are you going to think? Yeah, and it's the summer on top right. of it. Yeah, I mean, what else are you going to do with your time? This is ripe for the picking. Davy's conspiracy wall was amazing. Right, I'm some of those, some of those have to be references, right? Oh, I would totally imagine now, so. 
Maybe not necessarily like, the name of the journal. But it yeah. looked like about 70% of them were kind of just, you know, standard <laughs> shit that you would read in like the weekly world news. Exactly. That you couldn't pin down any specific Location one thing or, or another to. Yeah. But I had to write down a couple things because it seemed way too specific. <laughs> and I think you might have noticed at least one of the same ones that I did. I know. Cannibal Society Living in the Sewers. Yeah. That's Chud, that. right? Yeah. Has to be, especially because Chud reference. came out in 1984. Yeah, 80s reference. No doubt. Maybe not necessarily like the individual clippings because some of them are pretty obvious if you've seen things like National Enquirer and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And speaking of towns and speaking of hometowns, my grandmother, when she went grocery shopping, she would on occasion pick up like one of the National Enquirers. So, I mean, you'd hear stuff about Bat Boy and all that other crazy oh, shit. Oh, dude, I love Weekly World News. That was Bat Boy. Yeah. So you would get things like that, and what I was going to say is in one of those, back in the early 90s, my hometown was in it Mm. because it was a destination, or at least whoever wrote that article was like a site for future terrorist attacks. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason why is because there's a building, it used to be called the BB&T building, and all it is is just an office building. And I'm like... Why would anybody target that building? It has no significance outside of Spartanburg. <laughs> Why would terrorists want to target that? Anyhow, I just remember that because it like it stood out, especially when you hear your hometown, and then seeing stuff like this where the kids, you know, he's more influenced by the headlines and the conspiracy theories and the larger than life. Even some of that stuff it harkens back to the X Files because we got to remember X Files was shot in Vancouver. Right. Another one. Fog terrorizes town. Oh, the fog. It's got to be the fog, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, some of them were too specific for me kind to like. Knows. Nazi base found on the moon. Uh, that's pretty cool. Iron Sky, right? Yeah, it's yeah, got to yeah. be. Yeah. Because it seems too specific. Like, there's obviously ones that are just like crops, like you've pointed out, like standard weekly world news exactly, type shit. Crop circles found. They're Lock definitely paying an homage to uh, some of these others. I didn't notice that they spelled Haley wrong in Haley's, Haley's comment. comment. Yeah. But uh, man claims Bigfoot lives in suburbia. Harry and the Hendersons? It's got to be, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. I don't know if it's on purpose, but... I they, would imagine that's probably what it is. I just, I, I noticed those. Oh, and uh, what was the other one? Hitler cloned working on Fourth Reich. I'd have to think about that one. Boys from Brazil. Oh, yeah. No, I wouldn't have got that one. That's pretty cool. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine a lot of these are on the nose. And it's clever. It's another one of those yeah, clever well, devices. Yeah, there's two other Easter eggs we'll get to as we go through this movie that I noticed that yeah. are His room was pretty boss, though. Yeah, his room was boss. I liked all those. You can't help but notice the Rush 2112. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I on. actually didn't notice that right away, but I noticed it when What's-Her-Face goes into his room. Nikki. Yeah. yeah. But it's just like little subtle things like that. They're paying all these neat little homages. and Possibly what a kid of his caliber would have had in their bedroom at the time. But it does lend its hand in a lot of ways, into the reasons why he and his friends are getting into these mysteries. <laughs> yeah, well, his friends are kind of calling him out in the beginning. Oh, like, they certainly do. Like, dude, you're starting to go off the deep end. <laughs> but he does keep coming up with, like, just enough evidence. To, yeah, it would keep me interested. Enough. If he kept bringing up the shit that he was bringing up, I would have been... points. I would have been like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm in. Fuck it. <laughs> I definitely would have been more like, okay, cool, than his parents were later in the movie when he does bring some pretty goddamn good evidence. <laughs> I, I know, right? Like, damn, mom and dad. But what I was going to say, too, is with some of that, because it's feeding off of certain friendships and these individual characters and their attributes, is I'm sure some of our listeners, myself included, is 
not necessarily that we had each one of those friends cast tight, but there were times where I'd got with neighborhood kids and we'd go on stupid little adventures and there was a haunted house in the neighborhood that yeah. if no one was home, we'd sneak around and try to find shit, you know? So it still stays true to that childhood, that innocence that you have, that you want to explore things, you know? And even the using the innocence to cover your other shit. Like when they <laughs> use Manhunt to cover them. Yeah. Actually doing some surveillance. Exactly it's the clever. type of shit that you do as a kid. Oh, like, fuck yeah. It's an excuse to do other things uh-huh. under the guise. <laughs> yeah. Manhunt, speaking of which, <laughs> it's not the first time we mentioned that on this show. <laughs> I did listen to, I can't remember the name of the YouTube channel, but there was two guys who brought that up too. They're like, that fucking game was awesome. <laughs> it was brutal. <laughs> I was oh, like, hell yeah. yeah but this, manhunt. yeah, this Manhunt's really cool. I don't think we ever called it by that name, but there's definitely times where we played Night Tag. You know, you go outside with neighborhood kids and play tag in the neighborhood. I mean, neighborhood is dope, but, like, you don't have to go too far outside of town, and it's just, like, pure woods out here. Oh, my God, damn, yeah. And so I had friends that lived up in the woods outside (laughs) town, and we would be playing, like, capture the flag at night on, like, four or five acres of woods. Yeah, under the big sky, mm -hmm. under the big canvas of stars. Some crazy fucking. I bet it was a lot yeah. of fun out here. Yeah, a lot of fun. Carrying as we got too. as we got more to, as we got more to their age, it was a little bit more like we also had our airsofts out there. Nice. And so we were yeah trying to be all fucking sneaky with our guns and shit. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of fun, dude. Like I said, we all do silly shit at certain ages. But mm-hmm. Yeah, their manhunt is really cool because it does give them cover for some of the other things they get themselves involved with. Some of that stuff kind of comes back and bites in the ass, too, which is kind of an, I won't say unique, but it's kind of a clever thing, too, the way that their suspect lets them know that he knows, and it's the way that it, the writing is, once again, it's the lines that deliver, if you listen to the meaning of it, they're basically telling you what they know. <laughs> yeah. They're just being clever with their, their verbiage. So, the love interest, Nikki? Nikki, yeah. Former babysitter of Davy. One of the other Easter eggs comes when they're listening to her DJ. Yeah. At the where were they at? They were at the they arcade. They were at Ipswich Lanes. Yeah. You know, oh yeah, it was the bowling alley. Bowling alley slash arcade. Yeah, exactly. Because you can see the arcade machines in the background, and that's where the other, in Easter my mind, egg. big Easter egg comes in that yeah. I fucking lost my shit because it was one of the weird things I noticed. Their arcade had a Polybius machine. Polybius doesn't exist. Yeah. It's part of an urban legend of an arcade cabinet that was supposedly put out by the government. (laughs) It was never clear whether it was like implanting subliminal messages or somehow gathering data. But, you know, supposedly, along with the legend, like occasionally you would see men in black type characters (laughs) attending to the cabinet presumably mining whatever data that it you know had gathered and then suddenly the cabinets would disappear interesting right obviously this urban legend was supposed to have happened during the time period where arcade cabinets were popular oh i remember those days however i'm pretty sure that they have found that there is no reference to polybius before 2000 it's actually a rather recent urban legend about something (laughs) further in the past that people will sometimes swear that they, you know, knew things oh, yeah, totally to the Mandela effect. So. Yeah, exactly. But it's still kind of neat that they're putting that in here. The neat thing 
is that the Polybius myth takes place in the suburbs outside Portland. Oh, no kidding. Yep. Nice. There you go, right there in Oregon. <laughs> nice. That's kind of cool. Some of that stuff, too, like when they're playing Bananarama, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, there's definitely the 80s. But we're talking about films. That harkens back to The Karate Kid because they almost use the same shot with Daniel on his bike. And that song comes on because it was in the summer of 84 when it came out. So it's another one of those things that's really clever. I didn't notice that one. Yeah. It's like I like that song. Who doesn't like that song? Cruel Summer. We what do you really, got? Really what do you got? Up, yeah. I guess kind of speeding along too. All right. It's hard to talk. I mean, we could easily tell you what goes on in all this movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's so by the numbers for most it of it. It is. I mean, it's easy to follow. It's nothing complicated. They just start surveilling Mr. Mackey yeah. once they think he's the serial killer. What tips it off, they give you maybe a little bit more context, I suppose. When they're playing Manhunt, Davey happens to notice a younger kid their age in Mr. Mackey's. That kid winds up on a milk carton. Davey starts to put two and two together, and that's when he starts to suspect Mackey. So that's when his friends start giving him shit. And they're like, well, what if we're right? And yeah, so that kind of leads into them doing all kinds of mischievous shit under the guise of Manhunt, typically. I like the way that they surveil Mm-hmm. His daily routines, Mr. Mackey's, up until the point where they're starting to find these larger clues that give them more credence to why they're doing what they're doing. And then all the way up until the reveal, like how all that stuff comes well, to fruition. So you get the earlier part where they get busted. Yeah, that's good too because it kind of throws a little bit of a wrench mm-hmm. in it, you know? But once again, it's the evidence is strong. The way that Mackie reacts is kind of weird. It was the night before they got busted when they dug up the garden that Yeah, Davy and it was Was that was that when like shit was like, Oh, fucking he's just down at the pier and it's a garden. Oh, that was much later. Was that on. later? Okay. Yeah, that was after that they was later. Okay. Yeah, that was after they got busted <laughs> and had to confess. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah, because I sent that's a the next, boy down there. That's the next thing I wanted to say, because my next big note, I have a couple little notes of shit yeah. that I'll get back to, but my that's big okay. note in the movie is that Faraday is the fucking worst. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck Faraday. <laughs> yeah, Faraday was looking for any reason to get out of that, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, no, geez. this fool, he's, no, 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 that's the reason for the dirt. Well, I mean, I understand I mean, he's a nerd. He tries to put things but in But if all you have to do is hang out there anyway and just be like, cool, he's leaving, even if I don't fucking yeah. believe your ass anymore. Exactly. At least still help me out. Damn. And then even if you are going to bail, don't go find another guy it's... and get him to bail God, with you too. Damn. I was thinking this. It's a good thing that Nikki did join Woody and Davey, you know, when they're going down in the basement, because that kind of even the odds up a little bit. Instead of mm-hmm. having half your crew out, you still got at least three-fifths of it now. <laughs> I like those odds a little better. But that's still a dick move. Oh, I was like, God damn it, Faraday. And I, then I was watch Gilligan's And Island. I kept thinking about it, too. I'm like, fucking Faraday. Yeah. And by the end of the movie, like, not much happened with Faraday. And I realized <laughs> that's because the entire third act of this movie... Everything that we've been getting to is kind of the twist. Yeah. This doesn't have a traditional twist where it's like, aha, I was a boy the entire time. Mm -hmm. Sleepaway camp. (laughs) The twist of this movie is that it's not a fucking movie. It's grounded in reality. 
Yeah, exactly. When you fuck around with serial killers, shit's probably not going to go quite well for you. Exactly, man. It's not this idealistic way of you discovering these clues and unraveling the mystery and then you become a hero. It's typically a lot more gruesome and dark than that. Just because you solved this big town mystery doesn't mean your crush's folks are going to stay together. Yeah, exactly. Like All your happy endings aren't going to come true. And you're right, that's where it grounds itself in reality. It's a weird twist, but I I can't help but think of it as a twist, because the rest of this movie doesn't set you up for that. Yeah, you're right. It feels like any other idyllic movie. Exactly, like all these happy endings. I do like that. You're absolutely right, because when shit really hits the fan, and when you have all these multiple twists happening at once, you're right. You don't have an idyllic way of ending a film. It's more like... That's kind of the part, I think, maybe where you're like, oh, it kind of hits you in the guts. It's like this kid has to deal with certain grief. His other friends are probably disconnected from him because of that now. And one kid's family's dysfunctional. In a way, they're all trying to support each other. But when shit like that happens, it's a cruel fucking kind of coming her, of age. In her 10-second scene, like... Woody's mom was suffering from some sort of depression, wasn't she? Like, oh, yeah. Something bad was going on there. She was either an alcoholic or some kind of depressed. Yeah, she was... And now, no Woody. Like, uh, it gets so fucking grim. Like, God. Well, it appears that it's and he just was, him and his mom. Like, and he was mostly taking care of her. Yeah, exactly. And she's already... And it looks like manic in a way. That doesn't help. It doesn't help that, you know, that's Davies. It looks like his best friend out of the bunch. They're pretty tight. Whereas the other guys, they hang out, but they're probably not as tight. Yeah, so there's that. <laughs> it's like, I was not anticipating one of the main groups to be whacked. Like I said, the entire third act is about subversion. Yeah, no doubt. It's completely subverting your expectations of everything that's been set up so far. And I did run into one little weird thing with that. First, though, I want to go back to my other point with... I think in a normal idyllic movie, Faraday probably would have got some sort of comeuppance for being a dick earlier in the movie. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he would have gotten like any sort of punishment or like killed or anything like that, but he probably wouldn't have gotten as much of a reward as the others. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But this isn't an idyllic movie, so nothing really happens to him other than what happens to all of them. Yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. Collectively, um, yeah. So by subverting one trope, I felt like they fell into a different one. I'm pretty sure we're supposed to think of Woody as basically Samwise Gamgee. And to subvert him being Sam to Davies Frodo, he dies instead of living through to the end. Yeah. Right? However, that falls into the always killing the fucking fat kid in a horror movie trope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that... <laughs> I mean, that might be like a throwback to some of the Jasons, too, like the Friday the 13th slashers. Mm-hmm. Typically, fat dudes don't make it, unfortunately. No. Yeah, I instantly noticed that because I grew up the fat kid. So I was like, <laughs> God damn it, you yeah. still have to kill Woody? Like, yeah. That's that kind of grated on me a little bit. I was like, ah, like, I see what you're doing, especially when I went through it a second time. I'm like, he's obviously Sam. Yeah. Like, they're giving each other these little fucking hobbit looks. Like, (laughs) Yeah, what's up with that? 
So I get what you did, but yeah. you're still killing the fat kid. Like Exactly, man. Yeah, it sucks. I think that's the thing too. Like if you're a fan or if you're maybe not necessarily a huge fan of horror and like say so you're trying to get your feet wet, that could be one of those moments. It could be a make or break. <laughs> you know how far you want to get into these styles of films. Ah, that was brilliant though. Like I said, even though it does fall into that trope. Well, I think it's funny good. too because when you get through to the end and you realize that this was all grounded in reality the entire time, the entire third act is almost like a slap in the face too. Like, <laughs> yeah. at what point, why did you think that it was idyllic? Like, yeah, everything that it's, you saw could setup. still happen in reality. We still kept telling you that shit was going on behind closed doors a number yeah. of times. Like, yeah, they do. I mean, that's what I mean by a lot of the lines in this film is it's setting you up for that blow. Which I thought was neat, especially the way that the film opens and the way that it ends. It's a mirror image, but it's not as I sunny. That was good. Yeah, it's not as sunny as you would think it would be yeah. in the beginning. Yeah, it's completely different. I thought the bookends of that were really good. One of the foreshadowings that really jumped out to me that I thought was amazing was uh, Mackie, right before he made the fake call when he was commenting on the house pointing out that the, the other time he had been there was to help things into the attic yeah. and then he hid in the attic it's that like yeah it, it, fantastic it lets you know <clears throat> that he's familiar with the inside of that house but he does it so subtle that you don't really think about it that way that does lead to my biggest problem with the movie mm -hmm. there's one cut that bugs me all right how does mackie get both Oh, yeah, yeah. Of yeah. their chloroformed bodies out of the house. The only thing. Without waking the parents. I was saying, the only thing I could think is he chloroformed the parents. Right. And the cops were still right across the yeah. street. He is bringing him into the cruiser, but they all know to be looking for him. Yeah. It's the 80s, bro. I know. That was the <laughs> one thing that bugged me, though. Like, it hit yeah, me. I'm I, like, I know what you're saying. Yeah. You have to suspend your disbelief in order for it to make sense because you're right logically it's like the parents would have woke up he would have never made it out of that house without some big commotion going on and i don't mind him doing that especially because they already showed that he was intelligent and able, yeah, able yeah. to come up with plans just the hiding in the attic showed that yeah but they didn't set up him having a way to get them out of there yeah in a way that like <laughs> in a way that didn't <laughs> It was too implausible of a jump. I understand. Yeah. I, understand. I know what you're saying. And not, I mean, like I said, I still really enjoy this movie. I just have to say, like, if there's one thing in this movie but yeah, that yeah, I'm yeah. going to that, point that out. That one, it's not easy to defend. And it's definitely one that's not grounded in reality <laughs> as much as the other things are in that act. Now, with the grounding <clears throat> in reality, though, my second time through, there was a question I asked myself and made sure to write down. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like Mackie went through a lot of victims. He had a high kill count. Do you think the only thing that had saved the kids up to this point was how close they lived to him? It sounds like it, yeah. He makes a comment about that at the beginning of the film when Davey points out, he's like, man, you got a big family. He's like, it's... What, he says something to the effect like... Oh, just don't live too close. Or they'll come, come knocking. Knock yeah. Oh, shit. So that answers it right there. Yeah. They were safe because they lived close. They fucked themselves up. Yeah, exactly. A That's even more bit. genius. What the fuck? Yeah, like, this saying, is the, a good movie. The, the way that this film is written, the verbiage is what I'm saying. The lines that they give each other, 
they're telling you what's going to happen or what's happening. It's just the way we perceive it, whether it's our first or second or third time through. It's like, oh, this motherfucker's spelling out shit right now. I've got a few lines, like all these foreshadowing moments. I'll just give you a few. One of the first ones, too, is the parents and Davey are watching like the nightly news. And it has something to do with the Cold War, you know, during that time period. And his dad's becoming a little disgruntled about the world around him. And he gives the line to Davey. He says, your future is doomed, Davey. Now, it means multiple things, right? It means, outside of the scope of the film, that the future doesn't look too bright in terms of the world around him. But what it really means <laughs> within this film is yeah. something bad's about to happen or down the road it's going to happen. Well, later on, right before shit kicks off the third act and they ask him how he feels after he's the hero and he's just like, everything's going to be different from here on out. <sighs> Yeah, exactly, and it does. It is literally <laughs> in uh, a huge way. <laughs> I, I've got one for you. Okay, this is a quote. Not that is well, a little bit of foreshadowing, a little bit, but one of my favorite lines, and like probably every male has either heard it or has used it, but it's called "bank it and spank it." <laughs> Yep. <laughs> they they have a lot of that in this film. I thought it was like, that's some major dude stuff. <laughs> so I didn't get a good, clear look at the layout of that treehouse, but was it one room or was there multiple rooms in that treehouse? And if it was only one room, did they each like have their own spanking corner? Oh, that's like, what you're saying. Oh, man. Because we're like, I'm going to go jerk one out. Like, Yeah, I mean, they're pretty open about what they do. <laughs> the friends, we joke about it, but we weren't necessarily like, I'm going to go home and go spank the monkey, right? You know, before yeah. my parents go to bed. I knew one guy that was fuck? like that. I, that would just that would just straight up be like, dude, yeah, I'm gonna go fucking jerk it. Like, <laughs> All right. <laughs> I knew one guy like that. Yeah, and I, he didn't even like hang around for long. Like he was only in town. <laughs> yeah, for, no like, kidding. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, Big Joe. Wow, yeah. that's weird. <laughs> but yeah, I just thought it was funny. It's like if you're a male listener. You're familiar with this lingo. If you're a female listener, we're sorry. (laughs) Spank it and spank it. I was like, oh, man, that's so funny. There's a line that Woody gives, and it's a Star Wars reference because it's a line that's been said repeatedly throughout the franchise. But he makes a comment as it's actually when they're going into that the kid, the Hoffman, that's Mm -hmm. been missing in the neighborhood. They go into the house and eat. Is that the ginger? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like the neighbor that they, uh, yeah. that was supposed no. to play the tag with her manhunt, whatever. But what happens is, is Eats is giving shit to Davey about, you know, going in the house. He's like, idiots first or whatever. And he goes in, and then as the other kids are like, fuck, he says, I have a bad feeling about this. I just direct Star Wars reference, A New Hope. <laughs> Strangely enough, right? Oh, man. I thought this was a good movie. I don't really have any other notes on it. I no, just keep like thinking said, some about of the, different parts. It's of it. mostly it's just some of the lines. I don't necessarily have to go into it. But like I said, they spell it out, pay attention to them a little bit. What I thought was kind of neat, too, is because this is like a mystery, of course, one of Davy's books that he's reading is that Hardy Boys. I almost described it as a Hardy Boys mystery. Or I mean, it kind of in is. My, in my synopsis. And then I decided a, to go with found. Yeah, there's a scene... <laughs> I think right as his mom's coming into the room, he's reading, I think it's a chapter entitled Suspicious Visitor. 
which I thought was kind of neat. And the name of the book is The Shore Road Mystery. I read a little synopsis. The film and the story don't have anything in common outside of the fact that if you look at the cover, the cover is off the shore, like of a coast, almost mm-hmm. like an island. And that's kind of where the film ends in a sense. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's kind of clever. There's a reason why they chose to use that book throughout the film. Oh, shit. That almost reminded me of something. The other little Easter egg that I caught. And they're up in the fucking treehouse. And they're taking the poles off the whiskey. Did you notice what whiskey it was? The thing. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's you're absolutely right about that. Man, they were really painting a picture for you. <laughs> oh, that does remind me because you get to sort of see everyone's pull off of that whiskey. Yeah. And Eats I thought I was, that's okay, that's what I was going about to get at was like in the third act when everything starts getting subverted. I thought somebody was going to call Eats out on all of his fucking posturing bullshit. bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Ladies, man. He's fucking he's, done all this he's before. Jay from Inbetweeners. Yeah. I, yeah, exactly. I think some of it, too, is the Monster Squad came out after this, but he kind of he's kind of like the Rudy character a little bit. Right. He's supposed to be somewhat of a badass, but you're right. He's more posturing than anything. Yeah. In the third act, once they I started to see right everything start sip. going. It's like, did you even... Yeah, what the it. fuck was that? Did you just <laughs> sip some air? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, kid. It's like, I've seen you in the babysitter. You can do better than that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I definitely saw that. The clubhouse was pretty dope, though. Yeah, that I mean, was when cool. they show from the outside, I, I did see, was it a skull and crossbones that was painted? I wonder if that's kind of a Goonies reference, maybe. Probably. What well, I kind of felt that uh, the dead body you see kind of reminded me of, like, a dark version of the fucking, like, pirate skeleton yeah 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 i thought that was clever too that they actually showed you the graves of his victims oh that was like he was actually doing this shit yeah like the use of binoculars i said there's some some other films like if you want to go not necessarily way back but there are some nods to hitchcock in this film oh yeah i've seen rear window you know whether you've seen christopher reeve in it (laughs) or you've seen the old one was it jimmy stewart i believe he was in a lot of those Hitchcock films, but it's like that's kind of neat that they're using that. You know, it's another one of those homages and a little bit of Disturbia in this film. So Dude, I mean, there's all kinds of neat honestly, little Honestly, I mean, I'm pretty blown away that you told me that this is their first screenplay. Yeah, it does blow me away. From what I understand. Or at least first. I mean, I'm sure that they wrote others, you know what I mean? But, you know, first one to. Do Actually, this. Yeah, yeah. Like, from what I understand, I listened to an interview with the filmmakers, the directors. And they talked about how they got the idea pitched to them. And I can't remember if they said it was somebody that worked on their sets. I can't remember if it was a producer or just somebody in their circle of friends and people they've worked with. I think they were in Los Angeles. I can't remember if it was a premiere or something, what have you. But those two guys, like, handed a script to whomever and, like, they read it. It's like, this would be a good project for you guys. And then they read it and then... The rest is history. So it's just kind of a chance encounter that they had. You know, please read our script. And yeah, the person liked it and he handed it to them. And the rest is history. It became a film. And what a fucking good film. Yeah, no, this was a good one. Like I said, I don't know how much I'm going to ever rewatch this one. Yeah. And it's not because of how good it is. It's because the ending's a bummer. It is. It is a bummer. Especially because it plays so hard on all the tropes that made up our childhood. Exactly. Like, it's hard not to feel... 
with growing up with the media that we grew up with, it's yeah. hard not to feel hopeful for every one of these characters because you've seen the situations where this turns where it's out played good out. for them. Yeah, like throughout the 80s. It's kind of weird, man. I wonder how much cocaine had to do with it. but <laughs> Everything's good. That's what I'm saying. Everything's, Everything's fucking good. like rainbows and sunshines and happy endings. The nerd gets the girl or beats up the bully. You know, you always have like these almost glossy outlooks, you know, where in reality, like the world around you is fucked. Yeah. You know, so that's why I like that. It's like, ah, man, it's kind of feels that way. And then, yeah, they sucker punch you. But because of that stuff, like they're saying as as far back as nostalgia goes, there's always that underlying coming of age where you become an adult and you see the world for what it really is. In some ways, this is a better coming of age story because it gets to the dark place where a lot of those stories don't truly get to the dark place. Yeah, the only wonder that time period that maybe gives you that same outlook is uh, Stand By Me, another Stephen King adapted. Yeah. I was going to say my girl. <laughs> damn, yeah. Time on 90s, damn. Yeah. God damn. That shit made me cry. I mean, that's it's fucking sad. Damn, Macaulay Culkin, why? Damn, Macaulay, why? Not the bees. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't help that I'm terrified of bees. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I've been lit up. But anyhow, yeah. This film, for those, like I said, who grew up in the 80s, want a little bit of nostalgia, but also want something rooted a little bit more in reality. This is, I mean, this is, like I said, it's almost an excellent, perfect film. I mean, it still has its downfalls, but pretty fucking solid film. You got a 13, 14 year old that's getting into horror, show him this movie. Oh, man, yeah. Fucking perfect. I agree. Like I said, it'll either make you or break you, depending on, you know, if you go beyond this film. But yeah, it's a good starting place for teens. Sweet. We're going to stop this for a second, and then we're going <laughs> to yeah. talk about some fucking Suspiria, son. Yeah. This is probably what you've been waiting for at this point. That's what I'd be waiting for, because we don't know how long we're going to talk about it. I know, right? Uh, there's a good chance it's going to be spoiler heavy. I will uh, reiterate that I would before we that. start in on that. Spoiler heavy. We're not going to worry about our normal format on it. It's weird. This is sort of weirdly turned into like Suspiria month for us, so... In our own way. You're about to, to like, know. cap it off. I'm not going to get the full experience of it, but... <laughs> That's all right. I'll share it with you. Cool. Sweet. Yeah. Dude, we saw Suspiria last night. I'm, I'm so happy that we did for a lot of different reasons, you know. I was going to say, I'm... As much as I enjoyed this movie, I'm almost way more curious to hear what you have to say about it because yeah. I know you're a way bigger fan of the original than me. Yeah. So and it's something that you have seen I don't multiple know times. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen it, you know, like dozens of times, but I've seen them. I've seen the original enough times <laughs> that way, and I've seen it just about just about outside of like v- VCR or VHS, whatever, and Laserdisc. I've seen it just about. Every way you can see it on film. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, with that in mind, I knew that this wasn't a direct remake. Like so We've talked about the fact that it's a reimagining. So I knew at least that much. Which is weird, and I don't know if I can explain it, but that makes more sense now that I've seen it. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I didn't realize what they meant to to what extent a reimagining until we seen it last night. And, oh man, honestly... If you were kind of like a purist, and what I mean by that is, if you take this as a, a direct remake, 
you're probably going to fucking hate this film. Like you're probably if you're hoping really for hate... a direct remake, you're going to fucking hate this movie. Yeah, that's, that's like I, that's why it's like I know this is a different film. It's a different creature. You know, all it's doing essentially is borrowing the like the backbone, the frame of that the original, and he's doing something else with it. So I knew that. Uh, but with that, I, I'm really impressed by this film. I I am like I really enjoy this film for its own merit. And the thing is, with this film, I think that merit stands up in its own way oh, no to doubt. the original. I totally agree. I absolutely feel like this movie is just as much of a masterpiece. Yeah. It's just a lot different. It's completely like, different. Stylistically, the way it's... The, whereas Argento's is typically known as style over substance, this one has a good balance of both. And it... Oh, Yeah. I would have, well, I would say, yeah, uh, balance for sure, but this is so thick with substance. (laughs) Um, I think Suspiria especially is known for its visuals, its use of color, use of light. Uh, I know that, I mean, I'm pretty sure I I said in our episode when we, we covered it that it was almost like every scene had its own texture. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, was it Guadagnino? Guad- yeah, Guad- Guadagnino. Manages to do, to make every scene have texture without playing with the light and the colors. Yeah, he kept it very, uh... I ha- I'm not sure if I have seen as many directors play with the depth of oh, frame yeah, yeah. so often. Uh, so often there was things going on on two or three different levels and characters moving back and forth between background and foreground and like just looking through windows being so important and understanding what's back and what's forward and yeah everything had such depth um yeah i did like that a lot space seemed to be very important in this uh, which is almost spelled out for you when Tilda Swinton's telling her to jump higher. But yeah, 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 yeah. But it, you're right. It gives you a lot of depth, a lot of depth, a lot going on in this film. Uh, this is another movie where I'm not like I'm not sure if I'm even qualified to talk about all of the <laughs> themes. You know what I mean? And not in the same way as Visitor Q, where like there's <laughs> fucking lactation shit yeah, going on. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying that in the way where the only way you could combat, uh, combat isn't the right word, but come up to the same level without doing the same thing is that this movie is just like four or five different themes running through the entire thing. I I agree with you there. And that's part of what makes it so arty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, after we had seen it, we both... I know we were jumping out the bit to want to share shit, but that's why we're doing it now. But I, you know, like I said, I got some release out, I suppose, last night by talking to to Jeff and my sister a little bit about it. Now they had a little differing view on it, and I understand the reasons why. Jeff gave me; he said that he thought that they were going to see the original, and so when he, (laughs) and so when they, it's it opened up like it took him aback. Mm-hmm. And so he had already like a certain uh, state of mind going in there, thinking he was going to see one thing and wound up seeing something completely different. Right. 
so he, I could see how that could be jarring. Yeah, so it kind of it right off the get go. Yeah, yeah, and because this definitely isn't the old one no, right off the get go. It is certainly not. It's it, yeah, it's a completely different opening altogether. The, the opening, the opening parts of it are so stylized that I'm like, did Wes Anderson fucking sneak in <laughs> yeah. here? Like, yeah, it kind of does feel like that a little bit. Um, but you're right. There's a lot going on. It's interesting. I typically watch films with like a closed caption on, or mm-hmm. at least subtitles and stuff. So there's certain things in dialogue that you'll miss, and I noticed that with this film is like, uh, if you if you don't pay attention to some of the dialogue, you're going to miss some things. I can't wait to rewatch this movie because I know I missed some things. Oh, I know I did too. Uh, I went home and read uh, a couple of reviews on it, and in the middle of reading one of the reviews. I realized that I completely missed something in one of the scenes mm-hmm. that uh, made it a lot easier to see some of the theming that was going on. Um, I guess, I mean, we already said that there's going to be fucking spoilers. Yeah, this is so. tip. yeah for um, sure. I missed that young Susie was, in the flashback, was getting punished for masturbating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I missed what she was sexually... getting punished for. And then, if I would have known that, then I would have come out at the theater right away, realizing that part of this movie is a story of her establishing her female personhood. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no. Um, Especially after having come from a repressed background. Absolutely. This film sets it up to where you... Th- where in possibly the way that she's presented she's pure she's innocent she has that conservative background but she's the antithesis to that which i thought was really cool she doesn't give herself off that way in this film she doesn't give you any slight indication up until a certain point um i think we also mentioned when we were talking about the first the the original how the goblin score by the end of the movie is almost its own character. Yeah. I thought Tom York did an amazing job on this score, but I thought what was almost more impressive was the use of silence. Yeah. I told throughout this movie and how agree. it made you focus in on some of the characters during some very important parts. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think that's a good way I we were talking a little bit last night, like I said, Jeff and I and my sister, and we were talking about that with Goblin and Tom York. And the same thing is like, if Tom York was trying to do what Goblin did, he's going, as, as much as I love Tom York and Radiohead, he would fall flat right on his face. Uh, yeah, so this was kind of right in his pocket. Like in his solo works, I kind of describe it as a little bit more minimalist work mm-hmm. where... You know, with Radiohead, it's just bombastic. There's all kinds of shit going on. Even though there is a lot of stuff going on in these compositions, it's, um, I don't know, it's almost melancholic in a way, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just, it's very gentle. Um, Jesus, like I said, there's there's definitely, like, the female person. I mean, honestly, it kind of um, reminded me of The Witch. Which, oh, yeah. go figure, which is, we, we talked about <laughs> that in our Witch episode, yeah. like... The symbolisms there, absolutely, especially in this day and age, reclaiming the witch in a way for uh, female empowerment. Yeah, big thing. I'm totally down with it. That's cool. That's definitely in this story. Oh, but there's totally. also a lot of other shit going on in this story. You have the political background. Yeah, which I thought was this, really cool. It being set literally in a nation divided, 
with a couple of the messages in this movie being clearly for the modern day. Yeah. Especially yeah. with uh, this, like the scolding that uh, the professor gets from the witches for not listening to women. Yeah. Should have. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. This is a film, aside from a few characters, that it's predominantly women in this film. And it's told... Which I think is unique too. It's it's a film where, without spoiling too much, I felt towards the end of the film that uh, Mother Suspiriorum, mm-hmm. in a way, she was a very loving creature, you know, which she was very empowering, but she was also vindictive too, <laughs> like super vindictive. So it, sh- but there was reasons for that. Like mm-hmm. it showed like what happens if you manipulate within. You know, the coven. That It was an example of the goings-on within a matriarchal society. Yes. That's kind of what I'm saying <laughs> in a large scope. Yeah. It's and like not he, necessarily in a bad way. Just no, like, no, no. hey, just, fucking people vie for power. Women are a part of that, too. Yeah, that's what happens when you... When it becomes very competitive and it starts to eat itself, but it looks it looks a different way, and yeah. this is the way that this is happening. I thought it was so clever, man. It's like, wow, this is nuts. This is bonkers. But uh, there was a lot of that. Uh, one thing too, we're talking a little bit about. Uh, I guess in, in a way, it's uh, like a, with sexuality in the film. Typically, not always, but typically, when you have. Um, themes of like female empowerment and in this case with the supernatural whether it's in this case witches or vampires typically there's lesbianism in that and i know that this director his previous film was about homosexuality Mm. so i felt like he was a perfect person to frame it or theme it without it being too much in your face you know like over being over the top um but i was like man it's clever because there are certain characters who they have these romantic feelings for each, each other. They act upon it, but not <laughs> in a clever way, a unique way, uh, through some of the flashbacks and some of the framings. And th- they're telling you what's going on without being explicit about it. That's uh, what I thought was kind of clever, just the artistic way he was doing these things. Well, I mean, with the sexuality, there's. It was so interesting, fucking. Uh, Susie's unleashing through her dance. Yeah, yeah. And how that all played in, and you get to, you get kind of the misdirect because they're talking about they brought um, Marcos into that closet when <laughs> after you saw that hand, and so you assume that they were talking about Marcos. Yeah. But it's actually her shadow self. Oh, by the way, I oh my god, there are. I'm going to point out right now. This is why I said I think. This movie is beyond me actually being qualified to talk about. I saw somebody else breaking this movie down already uh, amongst uh, down on uh, uh, Jungian archetypes. Wow! And how that actually was like her shadow self, and talking about how that plays in throughout the movie. Yeah. And I know that there's a lot of other awesome breakdowns already going around out on the internet that I am going to probably read all of because yeah. this movie was This dope. movie is super I don't, layered. I don't want to feel like I'm missing out on any part of this movie because yeah. it was super... It was engaging. No, it's her, it I, really I is. I liked the world it was building, the mythology it was building, the witches were... It, it was a 
crazy. It was like it was weirdly honestly. done. The the style was crazy awesome. Yeah. I don't know how to properly describe it other than with its weird use of depth, super amount of depth. Yeah, cinematically, it's it's a stunning film. It really is. Uh, when you add, like I said, the, the layers of themes and just substance, it's it's a it's a heavy chew because it's two and a half hour long film. So there's a lot of shit you have to digest. And it's I, honestly for me, I was telling, like I said, this uh, once again to Ashley and Jeff. It's like this might be one of the best witch films I've ever seen. Like Absolutely. collectively. It's like it it blew me away how much they've done their research on the mythology of witches and incorporated into this film in certain acts and uh, they were using something as a guise to cover their going on it's like man this this is a fucking dope film uh I loved how it was weirdly sinister yeah with like presumably her not knowing well i mean i guess eventually she would have known but we don't know when that actually occurs but not definitely she didn't realize what she was doing during that first dance man which was totally fucked up and i was not expecting it yeah since we're talking about some of these things uh we know that uh tilda swinton as madame blanc what she what i was trying to figure out is i know she was passing energy onto her Susie Banyan. But I was wondering too if she would, if it was like revealing witches marks perhaps too within her. Like she I did have, she didn't realize maybe that she has that. I have no idea. That's to say I, I, because it's one of those there's so much going on in this film. Um I thought that I like immediately I was like that was sinister. That was yes. so good. Um uh, yeah the use of sacred geometry and their moves as well. Well there was something else I wanted to point out about the geometry that goes along with um, the end of the movie. Okay. And sort of the idea of uh, the mothers being these creatures from before almost time. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I throw this word out a lot because I do kind of look for it being a giant fan, and I am uh, someone who would hate to see it go the way of Kafka-esque and being overused. <laughs> but this movie was weirdly Lovecraftian in yeah. that most of the magic in Lovecraft stories is not truly magic, but weird math through geometry. Usually like somewhere that like somebody is like a room where somebody would normally perform magic would be a room that they built to have weird angles uh to help pull off the sort of thing yeah makes sense their entire thing was through the planes of the mirrors making sure that the body intersected at certain points which yeah. we see through the the God. the drawings fucking the mothers are basically eldritch horrors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's fucking gnarly, dude. So an eldritch horror being brought forth through strange geometries yeah. is Lovecraftian. No doubt. I mean, you can't help but point that out. <laughs> right? That's what I'm saying. It's like, who? I won't say whomever, more than likely the writer in this film. Uh, I have to give a huge kudos to him because it, what a clever screenplay. 
I don't know if I'm ever going to understand all the aspects of this movie. No, you're right, because whether you try to look at it uh, from whatever there's lens... A, there's like, a bunch of art God. things just by the way things were framed yeah. that I'm not sure if I'm ever going to know the full intent. There was some of it, too. Like, if, if you're not familiar with art house style films uh you pointed out one i I, there were several times i giggled and i'll mention those but one is specifically because it made sense when you said it was uh you mentioned that that one scene was like watching a scene from uh was it the kingsman oh yeah Uh, yeah at the very end right (laughs) holy shit the fucking slaughter yeah i was like you're absolutely right because that's what i felt like but it was done so artistically in the way that um they used the certain different speeds and you know mm-hmm. the stylistic effect that they were giving off. I was like, if you're not comfortable with that or you're not familiar with that style of shooting, it will completely take you out of the film. It can. So I can see why this film can be super polarizing as well. Uh, this was nowhere near as humorous as the original, but <laughs> yeah. there was a couple moments. Uh, oh, okay. Ashley Swinton's head coming back. That was good. <laughs> Ashley wanted me to mention one because I told them one of the funniest scenes for me was, I think it was Susie. She went into that separate room and she saw the witches with that hook and the detectives. Oh, yeah, yeah, playing with his wiener. Yeah, it's just, I was like, oh my God. And they were giggling the whole time, but it was a menacing, sinister. Yeah. They like weren't they doing were... it because it was like uh, sophomoric. They were doing it because they were fucking these dudes up. Mm-hmm. They're casting spells on them, which that's what I like too. Is like they were casting spells and doing things through like these movements and ah oh man. Well, there's a there's so a good. giant weird power struggle going on throughout there this is. movie. You see, there's just little remnants of it that you catch throughout all of the witch doings, yeah. and they'll if you pick up on all their conversations, they're talking about like the times that they're fucking up even, and like. uh uh, goggles, fucking Tilda Swinton. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, after she fucking does herself in, the part of the conversation that not Susie, Sam, Sarah, Sarah, yeah, that Sarah hears because she's snooping around oh, at yeah, that point yeah, yeah. is about how they slept up, slipped up, and lost control of her. Yeah, exactly. And there's obviously the entire power struggle going between the mothers that plays out in the big way at the oh, end that we already talked about, sort of like the, the matriarchy yeah, exactly. power struggle. This, yeah, there's a huge power struggle. I don't know how to properly explain all of the things that I saw in this movie, <laughs> know, right? but with what I saw in this movie, the thing that I'm still most confused by is her wiping his memory at the end. I felt (laughs) with the way that those themes were presented that she should have left his memory. What does it say about what they're getting at if she wipes his memory, I guess? Yeah, I I know what you're saying about that, too, because there are some things, which I'm sure, like I said, upon second, third view... Whenever that happens, we'll definitely catch some of those things. But you're right. There are some confusing things. That's definitely one of them. Uh, The only thing that I could think watching that perhaps is she was – she says something to the fact that she didn't need his guilt 
and he was already guilt ridden because of all the shit that happened and witnessing all that stuff too. Mm-hmm. So that kind of makes me wonder is like, on one hand, he was lending a sympathetic ear, even though he wasn't literally listening. He had to do certain things to give them cover because of the political thing. It sounded like he worked for the government, and instead of admitting that there were witches, he was writing these things down as like mental illnesses. But it was also, on another hand, persecuting them in a weird way. He wasn't doing it to be sinister. He was just caught up in between those those two different worlds, a political and he's fucking witch coven. Well, they weren't pissed. I mean, they would have took him out, though, if he was uncovering that they were witches. Yeah. They were just extending that argument from the fact that he wouldn't listen to his wife when she said that they should get out of there. Yeah, good point as well. Because she was actually Jewish. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's just been going on since the war, World War Two. yeah. Well, and because that's when they were separated. Yeah. yeah. Um, And so his his loyalty to her memory throughout the earlier parts of the movie are all done out of his guilt for not listening to his wife. Good point. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Good point. Solid point. (laughs) Yeah. That's the thing. So, like, I. Like, I feel like that guilt is earned, yeah. and why didn't she just wipe the, his memories of being a witness? I don't know. That's a good I feel point, like maybe. I'm missing... I'm wit- Like, I understand them lashing out at him for his guilt and some of the, the points that they're making, uh, especially within the political spectrum of this movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I still don't understand the point of him being a witness, and I think that there's symbolism there. Yeah, good point. I don't know, man. I, yeah, I said it's... I have to go back through again. <laughs> I know there's a lot of things that are missing. Here's one thing, dude. Tilda Swinton is amazing. She puts she on a fucking so acting parts. clinic. <laughs> dude, some of this too, even towards the end, once again, is... Uh, I didn't realize she plays Mother Marcos in oh, this. yeah. I was like, god damn. So what I was thinking too, as I saw that, I was like, this is part Cronenbergian and a little bit of Brian Usna. Because it feels like some shit I'm watching in society, it's like, um, it's just very grotesque, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's like, man, that's kind of what you want in, in this kind of mythology, this mythos, is you traditionally see witches in a certain light, you know? Uh, but this is like something horrific. <laughs> like, this is what, I guess, what all her vindictive things were doing, being, I guess, the superior or whatever, but point being is like uh she <laughs> she put on so many different performances in this film you're right it's like you get lost in who she is in the film uh i'm curious uh i don't mind either way because the film was fucking beautiful but i'm curious if there were hints that i missed from the get-go that susanna was suspiriorum or yeah. if that was fulfilled uh, just to fulfill the theme of her embracing uh, her own personhood and bringing her shadow self to the front. Her literal shadow self. That fucking demon was nuts. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, was not anticipating that. But then again, I was like, that's pretty fucking dope, though. Um, 
yeah, it just got insanely dark and uh, almost felt like a tonal shift in a way during that last little bit of the film. <laughs> Uh, but it was once again, it was like one of those things I really enjoyed. It was not anticipating a lot of that stuff. Like, uh, speaking of the, like those movements and dance and stuff, fucking up Olga. But there was a, a part of me Olga, too where I was thinking, name. they're not really killing them because they're still witches. They're just extremely punishing them for being, uh, dissidents. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's like, man, that's. That's where that kind of hierarchy thing started making sense. It started like it's like, oh, that's what they're doing. They're they're in a in a way exacting revenge on on them or like putting them in their place. While like, also using them as pawns to try to achieve their own ends of becoming a mother. It yeah, seems like yeah, that yeah. was Marcos's goal. And uh, that was all she so, wanted. Uh if you're paying attention at the very beginning, you find out through the uh what what was the quote on the fucking needlepoint? Oh man, I couldn't tell you that. I don't know. But it, oh, I was just like, oh, that fits directly in. Um huh. the foreshadowing that Marcos's plan would fail. Uh a mother is a woman who can take the place of all others, but whose place no one else can take. I see just yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you know, that's kind of interesting too. Um the way that the acts are broken up they almost tell you exactly what you're going to see in the in that act or what the theme is in that act. So I that's what I felt because a lot of that with Susie it kept having flashbacks to her mom, but then again she's in a house of witches who are struggling with that who's going to be the superior mother. So she has to pledge her loyalty to a certain mother. So yeah, it's very um uh metaphorical and it's an interesting, yeah, like a little woven tale. But you're right. It is totally set in there for the fall. And that's the other thing. Some of the themes in this it's are really just clever. about motherhood yeah. and what that means. And I don't know what that means. I'm not a mother. I'm not either. I don't claim to be. I mean, and Luca might not know, but he probably knows better than I do because he wrote this fucking amazing movie. So, Gosh, dude, no kidding. Yeah, I think, too, what's helping me better understand this film is not only the fact that we went and watched, uh, or I'll say we, not together, but we watched Suspiria, the original, recently and reviewed it, right? So that was still kind of fresh. We did The Witch not very long ago, and now because Sabrina's on, you're kind of getting hit with these doses of, you know, uh, storytelling from the myth mythos of witches. Uh, mm -hmm. So... Like the the harrowing was one of those things. It's like, oh, this makes total sense why we're seeing what we're seeing, what she's going, you know, as she's experiencing other witches' dreams. And that's like, if you're not familiar with some of that subject matter, it's going to go right over your head. That was dope. That was actually some really cool use of color. Yeah. With the, the really dream cool. sending thing power. That was awesome. Uh, it, it seemed like each one of the witches had a, a certain unique uh i won't say power but they were specialized somehow certain, yeah and i thought that was kind of clever too is like the whether they knew it to what extent they knew it as well is one thing but it, it at least showcased like they weren't all the same necessarily I'm trying to think if I have anything else I really want to, I can think of to say about Suspiria I want to watch it again <laughs> I really I mean honestly I, I want to watch I them really back do. to back. Yeah. 
I just read what, Man, what a contrast Luca's too. idea is for a prequel, where it'd be like 700 years prior with young Helena Marcos figuring out how to manipulate the women of a village. And that sounds, if he's doing it, that's how I'm down. Yeah, likewise, because I feel like if someone already has this vision, right, you should let at least hear them out on how they want to extend that because this has so much potential. We already knew that Ardento has his trilogy of the mothers and if Luca wants to continue that, but reimaginings are just different ways of exploring these characters. Likewise, I'm all for it. Uh, it's, wow. How does how does Susie's mother truly being the mother of size in her fucking sick bed? Yeah, dude. Fit in, <laughs> and how does Susie? How is Susie Mother Suspiriorum? Like. I don't care if he really like, like super explains that, but like. But no, I mean, you know what I mean. Like, I know it's... exactly what you're saying. Well, we have to take in consideration too that there are two other mothers that we haven't even explored it yet. Right. They're just mentioned, which holds true to I guess like the um, canon, I suppose, of Suspiria now. I don't know where this could go, but I want to see more of it. I would too. Like even though, I, this was like, already like a two and a half hour, almost two and a half hour movie, roughly. Yeah. Um, and we both came out of there thinking that it didn't feel like that long. It honestly, it didn't. I mean, there were certain scenes such that an enjoyable were ride. totally extended. <laughs> like <laughs> this is, it's not going to sound harsh, but this film could be condensed, and it would still be a like almost a damn perfect film. But I understand art. Like so artistically and being an art house style film, why it's this long and why it could have been longer. Um, so I mean, in, in that regard, it's like I don't mind that it's two and a half hours. Like I'm okay with that. It's chock full of different themes that you can pick out and pick apart through the symbolism, framing, this or that, exactly. Verbs used, you know, whatever. All verbiage. those clever devices. Yeah. Um, but it's amazing how watchable it is. Totally agree. It flows through. You get pulled into the characters. You start wondering what the fuck's going on. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Um, it's this kind of a weird melancholy throughout a lot of it, mostly because of the professor story flick. Yeah, I know, right? But Tilda. Yeah, Tilda kills... Gosh. Uh, I don't know anything about modern dance. I guess if you know things about modern dance and you've seen this, like, is what they're doing good? Like, I was impressed with what yeah, they were doing, but I don't know within that subculture. Oh, yeah, like, we're no experts Whether it's considered good or not. <laughs> yeah. So I would love to be informed of that. Likewise, because like the movie tells me it's good, and I'm not going to say it's not. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing they put a lot of fucking time and talent into it. But But I know you're saying from from someone who knows modern dance, who is in that. Like I'm, I wonder what that says to them. I know. Wow, that's another theme they're playing with. It's amazing. Like, and I'm wondering how much more meaning you might be able to take away if you're able to better read that choreography. Yeah, good point. I know good. Uh, I've watched enough martial arts movies 
to know that good fight choreographers can tell parts of the story through the fight choreography. Like, it feels natural to me that you could do the same thing with all of these dance dance sequences. I I can understand that. You know, especially, like you said, if you're involved in this particular uh, part of subculture, um, yeah, it would be interesting to hear your perspective on it. Maybe I'm give sure. Some more insight. I'm sure before too long it's going to pop up on YouTube. Yeah, I'll, I'll watch the video. I was just totally Dude, I'm going to. I'm going to. Like I said, I am going to seek out a bunch of people's reviews and try to learn more about how other people who you have different experiences than me yeah, and have yeah. knowledge in some of these areas that I definitely do not view this movie to help. <laughs> Yeah, it's intriguing in a way that I want to know more about it. I guess, yeah, and that's I, I, it a is. huge it's a, mark for a movie. This is like a huge jigsaw puzzle with all these really cool pieces that is enjoyable even yeah. without knowing what those pieces mean. And that's what I'm getting at. It's like you can sit here and we can sit here and try to dissect this from all kinds of different angles, no puns, but different perspectives, different themes, and we would still only be probably scratching at the surface because. We're like I said, we're no experts in these subjects. We probably have a basic understanding of them, but it's nice to see it from maybe that particular person's strong point. You know, like someone who's specialized in that field and can point these things out to you <laughs> thematically. I think that's clever. God, I'm trying to think. There's a Tilda Swinton. No, everybody. Uh, there was Dakota a, was really yeah, good. Dakota was too. amazing. I didn't. I, this isn't kind of nerdy, I guess, but I didn't realize she was Don Johnson and Melanie Griffith's daughter. Oh, I had yeah, no yeah, idea. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't know that. I was like, well, regardless, like she's a really good actress. Uh, it actually took me a little bit to recognize Chloe Grace Moretz. Yeah, this. the beginning, especially. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But for what she does, she. She, Every, everybody she always film, does a good job she is Let's a really good honest. actress Chloe Grace Moretz yeah like, she's talented uh, Tilda Swinton though. I feel like yeah I feel like everybody in this film even if they use certain names they gave them different uh, characterizations of it but everybody was good in this film I can't I can't honestly point to a weak point in this film like in terms of acting wise that was really solid acting God, we already touched on it. Tom York did a great job. We yeah, touched on music that. was good. Even though it's not, it's not Goblin. It's not trying to be Goblin. It's still solid for this art artistic style. Um, go see it. Go see it. Go see it. <laughs> yeah, it's like I, I don't know without. Thank you, Roxy. Thank you, Ian. Oh man, yeah, it makes something like this, um, you know, coming up to getting to see fucking Goblin. Speaking of them. In a weird way, it kind of closes the circle. Um, I, if you would have told me right when I first purchased Suspiria, that not only would I be seeing it in Montreal as a thirty-five millimeter cut, seeing it in four K, reviewing it, getting to see Goblin, getting to see the new Suspiria, like that's how involved I would become with that damn film. Uh, I would have, you know, I would have been like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Uh, it's just unique, man. Like I didn't realize how involved I you could become with a fucking film. There's one other thing about this this experience we had with Suspiria, though, that I think we should bring up. Uh, is it the music? Dude, <laughs> the happened? music. Of course, it's the music. Oh my god, this was the best thing in the world. 
ah, we were all both on the edge of just losing it during some super serious moments yeah, in the movie. It took me out on that scene. Because uh, the theater next door to us got out, and there was some fucking... It, it, like, people opened the doors and were exiting uh, while the credits were playing, <laughs> and there was some fucking cowboy-ass shit yeah, going like, on over those country, credits. This country, like, patriotic... Yeah, super cowboy style. There was some cowboy ass shit coming out of that <laughs> theater. I was wondering too, like, I wasn't, I mean, it was funny as fuck because it was such in contrast to where we were watching. And I was like, holy shit, is this, are you serious right now? Where, uh, man, I, I almost, I almost blurted one out. <laughs> like, I was chuckling. God damn. But oh. it makes me wonder too, like, for people who, who heard us giggle, they're like, this is not funny. This is serious. They're like, no, this is funny as fuck. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, that fucking music is about to take me out of this film. Also, we're stoned. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was fun. <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> um, yeah, that was fun. I didn't mean to like, I, was, I hope those ladies don't think we were rude, but I asked those ladies if we could go by because I didn't want to sit up front like... No, that was our like only other the... choice. We got there like right on time. We did like because we got perfect. high. Because we got high. Because we got snacks. <laughs> yeah, because we got that was a long ass line. Those people in front the of us, they kept getting wine. I know. I was like, but you know, that was kind of the cool thing too. We're going we to see a fucking rock climbing movie, Brenda. You don't need another <laughs> glass of Cabernet Sauvignon. <laughs> You're already over the edge, bitch. No, but it was nice. To know that we have a theater that supports the arts and supports independent films. And, and supports us having a beer with us when we yeah. watch them. I'm like, that's honestly, that's the only place I've ever been to where you can open, uh, bite alcohol and watch a fucking film and not have somebody act stupid. I had me a, that's what she said, cream ale. Yeah, maybe. No, I just had an unsweet tea. I, didn't, <laughs> I was like, I'm already still, yeah, no, no thanks. I had a drive too, so. And then... Make me some popcorn. Popcorn's always good. I had a Kit Kat. Yeah, I heard great. you with that Kit Kat. <laughs> like, you good, I was, dude. Sitting, <laughs> I was sitting up at that register. I'm like, look down. I saw the candy. I'm like, oh, fuck. Kit Kat. I know. Kit Kats are always good. I almost got, though, that they had five red vines for a dollar. And I almost went with red vines. But... <laughs> now, overall, I had a really if good If I would have got a soda, I would have went with red vines. Yeah. But I, blame you. I got a beer, so. But yeah, no. If you're here in Missoula, or if you're ever passing through, want to see a film, go to the Roxy. Check them out. Go see Suspiria. We highly recommend. Yeah, it. support your we local theaters. Dug it. It's a good movie. Oh man! If you're not normally into artsy fartsy movies, oh. it's a watchable artsy it fartsy really movie it that really will is. still do the job for you. Um. The oh the other person I wanted to compare it to is it reminded me with uh, the inner blending of the political backdrop and the touching story between the professor and his wife. It did remind me of uh, Guillermo and Pan's Labyrinth. Oh yeah 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 yeah, um, almost <clears throat> like in a yeah in a fantasy kind of style mm -hmm. yeah. And totally. yeah, and you have supernatural elements coming in, and like it, it kind of totally. harkened to that a little bit for me too. Uh, now it kind of makes me wonder how Guillermo would have done a Suspiria. <laughs> Not that he would, but it just kind of makes you wonder. I kind of wonder how. Uh, I saw David Gordon Green was attached to this. Oh, I always forget her. Julia did Ra. 
Oh, the Colonel. Yeah. yeah. I kind of wonder how she would have done it. Oh, that's a good point, too, dude. Being yeah. such a heavily female-centric story. Good point. Being that we watched Raw in that same theater. Yeah. Very good point, man. I would be okay with her. I mean, like I said, not that these people would do, but it would be neat to see their interpretation. I... Like I said, because I don't understand the memory wipe at the end, I wonder if it even would have happened in a female-led... Yeah. Film? Film. Yeah. With what that means. I, I can't fully... Or, yeah. Yeah. Symbolically. Huh. Or what it feels like that means symbolically, because I don't understand it. Yeah, I know, right? Jesus. I, was, I told Jeff last night, it's like, dude, this movie i think maybe i've said that to you is like this is a big old piece of bubble gum to chew yeah it's like there's so much to chew on this film <laughs> and when it all seems so yummy it was man like i honestly i'm surprised at at how much i enjoyed it likewise um especially because i had no idea what to expect with the word reimagining exactly and that's kind of where i was at too now, I, I was never at odds about this film like some like I said, some people are purists, and that's not to knock them because some reimagining remakes are complete shit. We've talked about this tons of times, but man, this has to go up there with like one of the best. I won't say it, it's not a remake; it's a reimagining, but it uses the same title. It's, yeah, man, it's fucking good. And yeah, and it's not. It's not even a reboot. No, it's not. Because it's not the same story. No, it's just it's it just borrowing just uses, certain things. I think you did. You say the same backbone earlier. It's the, pretty it's much the it's same the framework. Frame. Yeah. yeah, it's all of the ideas that were lurking behind Suspiria get brought into the forefront. It's just yeah, for the I, most part. Yeah, it's God. I don't know how to explain it, but know, it right? makes so much more sense now that I've seen it. Man, yeah, I was tickled pink, dude. Like I would, I would have a job writing for some major type of publication if i knew how to explain <laughs> well you got some homework but right now, uh i would say people who are on the fence about seeing this like I said go see it now, honestly regardless go see it it's uh it's a unique viewing experience of nothing else you're uh, not getting the original though no do not expect that in any format like maybe Knowing the original style, maybe will help you to know what's going on yeah context wise but they also make it pretty explicit from the get-go that it's witches yeah in this one yeah yeah um yeah so the, i mean in, in that regard absolutely the two completely film uh complete different films but they're both entertaining in their own regard their own respect just two different ways of telling a witch story it's so weird though that knowing the original does help inform your understanding of this oh, one yeah, that's with we, how different it is. Yeah, and that's what I kind of like about it as well. Yeah. <laughs> because they vary and they contrast. Fuck. Sinister. That's how I would just describe the horror in this movie. Yeah, Very yeah. sinister. Very sinister. Weirdly happy ending, for the witches at least. Yeah. Uh, totally unless weird. you were a follower of Helena Marcos. Marcos! <laughs> that's like damn yeah. some of the ways that they said marcos kind of made me crack up it was like their and casting think, call and i think one of them said marcus it happens and i'm like dr carol marcus do we have do we have fucking kirk's baby mom in the house that's funny <laughs> yeah but uh man 
it'll be fun to like to rewatch this and get to see some of the uh, behind the scenes footage and hopefully there's like all kinds of cool shit that they talk about five hour cut <laughs> i would watch it <laughs> i would too but man it'd still be fun who knows but yeah kudos i thought it was a great job overall so, i, I, I might be telling tales out of school like i might be remembering this as a a little factoid about a different movie but given her role and how well she was in it i think i'm remembering this right I'm pretty sure that Tilda Swinton wore a fake cock and balls even when they weren't out on screen when she was the professor. No kidding. Just so that she would have the feeling of like huh. being in that character and gotcha. having that feeling of something like in his pants right there. Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's method acting. <laughs> yeah. She wore the cock and balls even when the cock and balls weren't on display. That's funny. C and B guys. Kudos. Kudos. <laughs> I mean, she gives a hell of a performance. I know we've already said it, but damn, she does a great job. Mm-hmm. I I mean, I expect nothing less from Tilda Swinton. I, I think most people are like, when you hear Tilda, you're going to go see it. I mean, that's going to be... It's kind of like what when people mention Meryl Streep for the longest time. <laughs> yeah. People are going to forget. And it's just going to be like, oh no, like Tilda Swinton? Oh, oh yeah. she always knocks it out of the park? <laughs> yeah. Always? When she's the best thing in Keanu Reeves' Constantine. All right. Since we're on this little <laughs> kick. All right. Uh, Ashley and I joke around, and it's coincidental, ironic, that they use Tom York to score because they kind of favor each other. Uh, they almost look like you can interchange the two. <laughs> so we always joke around when we see Tom York or Tilda, and we always have to say, is that Tom or is that Tilda? <laughs> Nice. Yeah, so like it's funny that he just so happens to score this film too. The best thing in Constantine. <laughs> awesome, dude. Uh, I'm done talking. Yeah, no, like I said, enjoyed it. I'm glad we got to watch it. It's going to be fun coming back because we are taking that break. Oh, yeah, we should probably mention that we are going to be taking a break next week because you are going to go watch Suspiria while next the score Sunday, is Sunday. being put on by... Claudio Simonetti's Goblin. Goblin. Dude, I'm so excited. So yeah, I'll post all kinds of cool shit. I'm going to get some photos. There's some things. I'm going to see what I can do. And uh, we'll kind of go from there. So you have to suck off? Whatever. You know? <laughs> have to blow a couple dudes. <laughs> By a couple, I mean dozen. <laughs> I hope not. But, uh, we'll It'll see be what a happens. a cock goblin. I, whatever. You know? You're too proud to beg. <laughs> But no, it, it, we'll see what happens, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. And like I said, in a weird way, it probably won't. But for the time being, it'll kind of close a small circle around this film franchise and everything. And weird little these Suspiria little weird month. caveats. I've seen Tom York. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's weird, man. But anyhow, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was fun. Um, yeah, and we think we know what we're doing when we're coming back, but we don't know it well enough to announce it right now. So yeah. fuck you guys. You'll find out when you get to it. <laughs> but yeah, like I said, we'll still be around. We're just going to take a, a short break, and then we'll get back to it. We're almost at 100. Oh, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're we're hoping we have the right idea for it, too. Ah, well, we've got something. something we got something. Something that's been brewing. Hell yeah. It's been, uh, been coming to fruition. I think so. Anyway, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried squirms out. Speaking of TRL. I know, right? <laughs>